in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Arthur Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, everybody. Hi, Andy. Hi, Art. Uh, Andy, uh, a very a very peculiar thing has happened to us today. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I I agree. Um, a, a very a very strange occurrence. You know, um, you know, uh, it's uh, a very weird thing. Yeah, I, w- I would say that this has been a, an unusual day for us. A day in which we were abducted. That's right. Uh, we should give the listeners a little bit of a background about what's going on here. Why we are here. Why are we here? Uh, uh, Andy and I, we've known each other for quite a while yeah uh, right yeah uh you would say that yeah yeah uh almost the you know better part of a decade close to a decade um andy and i are comedians we're family men we're family men um, we're, um but mostly we're improvisers <laughs> in chicago unfortunately we we do a lot of things not well. We do a lot of things not well, and um, we uh, we were abducted recently by um, a man by the name of Mister Bunker, the titular Bunker. Uh, we were abducted by um, him. He's kind of a um, sort of a crazy conspiracy theorist, doomsday prepper kind of guy. Um, you know, he's really, really, he's, uh, he's a strange guy and we were abducted by him recently. His name's a little on the nose. His name is a little on the nose, but that's okay. And he, um, he took us to his underground bunker, which is where we are, which is where we are right now. And, uh, he, uh, while we're down here, we found a whole bunch of, uh, different doomsday prep supplies those pouches of macaroni and cheese those pouches so many pouches of macaroni and cheese uh, you know the kind you know the kind costco yeah yeah they sell them at costco the easy mac um there were ammunitions you know stuff like that it was a bunker an underground bunker motor oil and um amongst all of it we found some 
podcasting equipment. We felt the need. Well, I mean, also he forced us. Well, I, I mean, this is this is part of the plan. Well, we got to do something if we're going to be stuck down here. We got to tell our story. Um, he basically came up to uh, he came up to me. He said that we have to podcast to the world all of his crazy conspiracy theories, all of his ideas. He's certain that all of human history and all of world events are connected in some meaningful way. That's right. And we've been tasked with sorting through it and, and finding the universal truth. You know, he wants to... The, um, the truth behind all of it. Yeah, he wants to, uh, yeah, to, to go out there and I think convince the world of his theories and what he thinks and uh, to spread his ideas, you know, out there. Um, and I guess that's what we're going to have to do because we're stuck down here. We don't have anything else to do. Oh, we might as we might never see our families again. We can't leave. I, I don't know where we are other than in this bunker. That's true. Um, geographically speaking, did, 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 uh, how did you get abducted? How did I get abducted? Yeah. Because for me, he just kind of showed up in a white van and, um, there was a sign that said free um, raw denim jeans. <laughs> yeah. And I just went inside. I was like, I'm sold. That's, that's what I would expect, I guess. If there was an easy way to capture art, that's it. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I sat down in a massage chair mm. at the mall and like a sharper image, uh, like one of those that's in the uh, oh, um, in the middle of the mall, right, 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 right. Not um, a kiosk, a kiosk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not a, not at a reputable store. Yeah, not even at a reputable kiosk. Um, uh, a massage chair off to the side, mm-hmm. like one of the the automatic ones, not with like a a person there who does shiatsu on you or something. So there wasn't even a shiatsuer. No, it's like a coin op thing. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Maybe. It turned out to be Mr. Bunker. He was dressed up like a massage chair? He dressed himself up like the chair. Took me away. Wow. So, um, it's safe to say we're not the easiest. You know, we're pretty easy to fool. Well, in hindsight, I shouldn't have sat in the chair. In hindsight, you've, you've sit in a lot of things that you shouldn't sit in. <laughs> Uh, hello, red line. <laughs> you know, I kind of, uh, I, I asked him to, I, I asked him like, why us? You know, why doesn't he do it himself? And he gave me a couple of reasons. One, he's very bashful. He's so bashful. He had to hide in a chair to abduct me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had to hide in a chair and he had to hide behind in a in a van for me and had to hide in a chair for you Mm -hmm. and uh i said you know why don't you just why don't why don't you just do it yourself and he got so embarrassed he started blushing he took out his little finger and he put it in his cheek and he started rubbing it yeah he was just looking down he's like oh i can't i'm too shy (laughs) that's yeah that's him yeah spot on impression (laughs) yeah i mean that's him in a nutshell and so I guess part of it is that, you know, he he is he's shy. But then also part of it was that, you know, Andy, I've 
I've known you for a long time and listeners don't know you, but if they did, I think it would be safe to say they would wager a bet that, you know, you're somewhat of a skeptic. I mean, is that too... I think that's fair. That's fair to say, right? I think that's fair. You're kind of like um, Scully of our of of our dynamic, right? Right. You don't believe anything. You think there's a scientific reason or something like that for everything. I never think that a complicated answer is the right one. That's right. You always think it's kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Or the band kiss. Yeah, either one. Either one. It's either Gene Simmons or just it's a simple answer. If if we have to look into any kiss-related theories, I'll probably believe it. Gene Simmons did it. Gene Simmons did it. But me, I'm I would say I'm skeptical of things uh too. I mean, you know, but at the same time, I'm almost kind of gullible. Uh and I kind of tend to believe stuff. Yeah, I'd say you're easier to um to uh hoodwink. Yeah, because I'm a big fucking idiot. I mean, those aren't the terms I would use. <laughs> well, either way, you know, that was his other reason for abducting us and, you know, bringing us down here was that he wants to try and convince us with these theories or have us talk about these theories and send them out there and see if he can bring us over to his side. He knows that with our reputations as skeptics, that if he can convince us, then he can convince anybody. That's true. So the shyness on top of the um, wanting to convince people, you know, was the reason why he wanted us to do this. So here we are. We're abducted, uh, trapped in this bunker. We have no idea how long we're going to be down here. And we're going to talk about stuff. We're going to talk about conspiracy theories. We're going to talk about paranormal activity. We're going to talk about strange disappearances and occurrences. I mean, a whole host of things. Unsolved mysteries. Unsolved mysteries. N- not, um, not the TV series, but... Uh, not the TV. But actual m- mysteries. That's right. Um, and that's, that's pretty much uh, what we set out to do. And uh, we've got a bit of a doozy for this first one, Andy. Yeah, I mean... Uh, Art, I guess uh, you, could, you could call me a, a, little, a little pilgrim. Oh, yeah? I'm a little slut from Bath. You get it? You get the reference? No. I'm a little slut from Bath. English city of Bath. Ooh, I love having sex with different people. I'm a pilgrim. You like climbing a vertical plane is what you mean is by... No, no, I'm the wife of Bath. From the Canterbury Tales. That's old English. Oh, geez, Andy, you're really giving me the old English on this one because I'm not getting your fucking reference or your segue. All I know is, is that Mr. Bunker wants when to- was old, when, was, when was the Canterbury's Tales written? I don't What is it, like the 14th oh, century? 12th century? Well, let me just call it my buddy, Jeffrey Chaucer. You probably could. Let me get my, uh, my uh, light box. Geoffrey Chaucer. Well, if we did have a light box, Andy, we would be able to talk to Jeffrey Chaucer because that's- very much today's topic. Yeah, uh, see, this is a Mr. Bunker turned out to be a good segue. Exactly, it was, and uh, you know that's why I complimented you on it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the vertical plane, the vertical plane, and no, the ghost in the machine. And no, we're not talking about a plane that did a nosedive and stuck into the ground straight up and down. No, we're talking about uh, a a story written in the 1980s by a man named Ken Webster and his girlfriend Debbie, and they're you know menagerie of friends 
And they allegedly communicated with a man from the 16th century England and with some kind of entity or thing or year or other dimension called 2109 yeah. through a 1980s English computer, UK computer called the BBC Micro. The BBC Micro. This is I a, know we're not talking about our penises. We're not talking about like a very niche fetish. BBC Micros. <laughs> talking about a computer. This is not a Pornhub search term for once. It's sort of an oxymoronic niche, too. <laughs> yeah, a BBC bit. Micro? Right. A little bit like, just what you, normal, then? What do you want here, buddy? Is it just a normal size C, then? That query can only return so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breaking the um, No, and uh, this is a ghost story. This is kind of a time travel sort of deal. It's a story about relationships and friendships and love. Yeah. Honestly, uh, this is a movie in the making. It's a movie in the making. Because it's sort of like a combination of a lot of other movies. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about it. And if you can't wait to... Well, at first, uh, in, you know, Mr. Bunker included this in some notes, is that yeah. this, this topic came from a what he's calling a bunk funker. A which bunk funker, which appears... A fan of the show, which I don't know how, because the show just... just this is like the first episode. Started, yeah. So. so I don't... But this is this came to us from a bunk funker. Yeah, this... this um, in the notes, it said this was from a bunk funker. Right. Um, sort of a mysterious, um, I guess, nom de plume for this particular bunk funker. O-B to the R. O-B to the R. Also, it says in the notes, a patron of the show. A patron so of the show. I don't know if that means- We have means patrons of the show already. We have- Mr. Bunker's show. I don't know if this means we're going to have to- what we're expected to do for the yeah, patrons. I don't know either. If this is some sort of a like religious thing or. <laughs> uh, we might have to do some sacrifice. animal sacrifices. Yeah. yeah. Animal sacrifices. Anal sacrifices. Did you say animal or anal? I said animal, but then you said anal. Oh, either way. <laughs> What's the difference? And I was talking about sacrificing animal the Muppet. Oh, animal the Muppet. Yeah. I wouldn't care if that one died. Wow. Really? He's my favorite. Wow. Really? Love animal. Oh, he's irritating. What? If I was another Muppet, I would be like, this is getting old. <laughs> it's the same way with... Blah, 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 blah. It's the same way if I was a Looney Tune, like the Tasmanian Devil, I would be like, this is getting really old. Oh, uh, you're full of shit. If I was Foghorn Leghorn, I would be like, I say, I say, I'm sick of your bullshit. <laughs> I'd be that little chicken hawk oh, that yeah. he hates. Like yeah. his little, little enemy, the chicken hawk. Yeah, you would be. And I would kick your ass. And I would just be out there spanking dogs bare butt. He did that so much. He really did. Grab was... dog by the tail and just paddle it. Ooh, he was a fucking asshole. Such a freak. Such a freak. More people should have been freaked out by Foghorn Lingard. He was a fucking massive chicken. It's an unnaturally large rooster. Now, there's a rooster that goes online searching for BBC Micro. Well, that's true. But also, he better hope that Colonel Sanders never crosses his path. Because oh he'll God. be licking his chops. Yeah. Get like five buckets out of that guy. Yeah, I mean, think about you could you could split his legs in half. Uh, but thank you again to Obi to the R uh, for this topic. Um, this is a fun one. This is a ghost story. It's crazy. It's wild. And we're gonna. It's basically story time with me and you because there's a lot of reading. It's right. all based off a book. Yeah, it's it's if you like audiobooks, right? You're gonna love this because right. Art and I have been described before as having the most. Uh, I don't know, soothing voices. Oh, yeah. So many people say you two should do ASMR because 
You have such calm, soothing voices. They say we have faces for ASMR. Right, right. That too. Yeah, the audio only, like that we shouldn't do YouTube videos. (laughs) So, um, of course, there will be a timestamp in the show notes. You can check that out if you want to go straight to the research. Um, But first, uh, it says that there's, there's something called a bunker alarm that you have to ring. Yeah, it's it's very it's an unusual note. I don't it, yeah. it lists me specifically. Yeah, I don't, I don't even it know what a bunker, bunker alarm, alarm is. And I read it at first and I was confused, but I have this I there's this machine sitting next to me. Huh. And I feel it says on it there's a little label in the corner. It says Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000. Wow, yeah, I do. I see that. And like there's you so know, many keyboards and I know. dials and gear wheels. And a there's spout for diesel fuel. Yeah, there's like but exhaust, also batteries. There's like it's like organ pipes, but it's also but it's exhaust. And grace. I don't like I've never used this before, but I feel like I have something in my bones in my fingers that tells oh. me I I know how to use this and I know what to do. Weird. And I feel so compelled right now to say, Ob to the R, this bunker alarm is for you. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, so guess. that's okay. Say that. This is a. This is brand new to us. I've never done this before. So let me just, uh, I'm going to try and manipulate this machine. Sure, okay. Well, make sure um, that, you know, if you are, if you are, we should pick it up on these microphones. Yeah, I, th- I assume, I mean, it seems like it will be pretty loud, so. Oh, it will? I assume that all the noise of it will will transfer into the <laughs> into the microphone. Okay. So, all yes, right. I feel like this light switch type deal is probably the, the power switch. Oh my god, that's wow, loud. That is loud. Whoa. <laughs> it's really filling with fumes in here. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> god. Oh. oh geez. Oh, it's clearing a little. Okay. Well, it's like a it's like a keyboard here. I oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, that oh, does yeah. look like a keyboard. Here's a display. Let me just turn that on. All right, I'm gonna start typing. Yeah. <laughs> Those keys sound a little rusty. Yeah, they're not not very well lubricated. Uh, do you even know what you're searching for? Like, I don't even understand it. It's no, like, I don't. It's like a it's like it's a just DOS. Like, prompt. It's just like a fe- it's a DOS prompt. Yeah. Okay. I just keep typing in the names of sounds. Oh wow. Okay. Onomatopoeias. Wow. I typed in quack quack, doodle doodle, zip zap zop, <laughs> verbrumpt, <laughs> verbrumpt. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Well, let me just turn this dial. Yeah, turn that dial. Wow. Oh, it's like scrolling pages. It's pagination, okay. Um, okay. Uh, I guess I'll just push a button and see if it works. Okay, you're going to push a button? <laughs> that one hasn't been pushed in a while. Oh, it says locked in. Wow. Um, all right. And then it says press Katarl. To play. So Katarl. I guess we'll see what happens. You know, this is kind of a new thing. Why don't we do like a countdown? Okay, yeah, we'll do a countdown. countdown? It doesn't seem like something we have to do, but maybe something that just feels something like what we want to do because we're old. Yeah, this is like a first time. I like countdowns. I don't know. It just obviously this is just gonna play a noise and it's gonna get picked up. I mean suppose so. Yeah. I just feel that's what's gonna happen. Right. I don't know. I just I just can tell. 
Sometimes you look at a piece of equipment and you say, oh, I know what that's going to do. Like I can look at this and say, oh, I know what this is going to do. This is going to play a perfectly synced alarm for OB to the R. Yeah, and I look at a toaster and I think, ooh, that thing's going to burn my fingies. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to stick your fingers in it. Or, or your penis. Okay, well. <laughs> okay, let me just push this button. In three. In two. In one. Wow. Jeez, that was that was cool. I guess. I don't yeah. know. Kind of strange. Uh, well, I, I feel really compelled to say OB to the R. Right? Thank you yes. for your suggestion and your support. Yes, thank you for the support. Thank you for becoming a patron of this show. And uh, being a bunk funker. And being a bunk funker. And uh, I hope you enjoyed that alarm. That bunker alarm? Bunk tech um, bunker alarm. I better turn this thing off. Oh, I'm oh there's really a high there's a the message fuse. coming down from a pneumatic tube. Oh, neat. Kunk. <laughs> Kunk. Let's Let see me, what it says. Let's, yeah, let's open it. Oh, there's a little comedian inside. There's a little cat skills comedian inside this pneumatic tube. What do you have to say, little guy? Uh-huh. Okay. I went golfing yesterday. I hit two beautiful balls. I stepped on a rake. Well, after he said that joke, he wanted to inform me that uh, that Mr. Bunker wanted uh, me to let people know that if they, too, want a bunker alarm and want to support the show and they have the means to do so, just like OB to the R, they can go to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker pod. Where they can, you know, for a nominal fee uh, every month, support the show, and they'll get, I guess, two extra episodes a month of content. There's over 30 to 40 hours of audio content already on that backlog. Oh, my God. There's access to a thing called the Bunker Discord, where you can chat with me and Andy Oh my on God. Discord. Which... What kind of a time commitment is this going to be for us? <laughs> <laughs> gonna work us like dogs <laughs> there's a newsletter every month oh my god who came up with this why would he why i mean he didn't even consult us about this he didn't even consult us about this oh well i'm sure that newsletter will never get done close to the first of every month that's gonna be a late month thing for sure oh definitely they're definitely gonna change it from the first of the month to the end of the month so that they can make sure that they get they'd done. better he'd better change it this is a lot <laughs> And, and social media shouts outs and behind the scenes contents and a whole bunch of shit. So, jeez, Jesus Christ. But anyway, thank you again to OB to the R for both the topic suggestion and the uh, support. It, I guess, it, you know, it means a lot to us and we hope you enjoyed that. Bunker so. alarm. Yeah, I guess. Thank you. Well, Andy, I'm uh, going to turn off the machine. now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh, my oh God. My God. Something broke. <laughs> Well, seems to be off. <laughs> oh, it seems to be off. But uh, Andy, we got to get off uh, because we got to go up on a vertical plane. We got to take off. Yeah. On this vertical plane. Yeah. We better. 
buckle our belts and put our trays in the upright and locked right. position. The seatbelt light is on. Seatbelt light is on. Put out your cigarettes, We're preferably traveling. on your seat partner's arm. That's right. Please put your cigarettes out on people's arms. Because uh, we're going back to the 16th fucking century of England. Yeah. To bring you the whole enchilada on the vertical plane. Ye whole old enchilada. Bunkfunkers, do you remember the days of AIM, AOL Instant Messenger, and Instant Message chat rooms? Did you ever have a pen pal from another place? Or did you ever, like, send a letter to somebody? And remember the days of waiting, waiting, longing for a response. Think about those memories. But the thing is, today's topic, uh, the vertical plane, is going to blow those fucking memories out of the water. Fuck your memories. Your memories sucked. They're nothing compared to the vertical plane. This was a book written by Ken Webster, first published in 1989. It recounts his, his girlfriend Debbie, and their various friends and colleagues' story of using a BBC microcomputer to communicate with a man from the 16th century, as well as beings from the future and or another dimension. That's right. This very well may be the first recorded instance of someone chatting online with hot, sexy, single older men from another timeline. Their ASL, 423, male, 16th century Cheshire, England. Hot stuff. This is hot stuff. Uh, I would be chatting with this guy. I would be chatting with this guy a lot, too, because he's got it going on. Yeah. Now, on top of all that, this topic is also a rousing and arousing ghost story, a story of love and relationships. And good cheese. It's not the love. But like we said, the entirety of today's topic is from a book called The Vertical Plane. And while the book was reprinted in 2017, it had this weird missing 411 phenomenon where original copies of the book weren't available anymore. And some were being sold online for around 500 to 600 pounds. That's pounds sterling. British pounds. Luckily for us, at the time of this recording, the book was made legally available online in full. The link to the book will be in the show notes, but to give you the whole enchilada this week, we're going to be giving you the story. We're going to be giving you story time because we're going to recount the story to the best of our ability. Was that sentence difficult to say? There's a lot of word, a lot of story in there. (laughs) All right. But to give you the whole enchilada this week, we're going to be giving you story time because we're going to recount the story (laughs) to the best of our ability. That's right. We're going to recount. We're making a lot of promises here that we might not fulfill. Well, I don't know. I think we're going to do it. So. The story starts in the autumn of 1984. Oh, what a year. A great year. Um, in the village of Doddleston, near the English border uh, with Wales, Ken Webster is living in Meadow Cottage, an 18th century house in the middle of the village with his girlfriend, Debbie, and their friend, Nicola. Now, to give you an idea of this place, because when I first heard Meadow Cottage, I thought, oh, this is a big fucking house. It's more of like a duplex. It's like a larger cottage house. And then someone converted it into three smaller duplexes. And they probably have the smallest one on the corner. Um, The house is very small. And three people staying there, honestly, feels pretty snug. Uh, You know, it has an upstairs bedroom. And then there's a studio across from that where uh, Ken occasionally records music. But that's where Nicola is staying. 
And then there's a living room and a kitchen on the first floor. I assume there's a bathroom somewhere. But of the diagrams that I have seen, nobody labels the bathroom. Wow. So Seems like an oversight. Maybe. Now, Nicola had arrived, you know, after staying for some time in East Africa. Uh, Ken was a teacher at a local secondary school or like high school equivalent. And I don't know what Debbie did. Uh, I can't remember if they say what Debbie does or not. Debbie did Dallas. <laughs> he did Dallas, baby. Uh, she might be doing some other stuff, too. Uh, we'll get into it. <laughs> the house was being renovated at the time, and Ken was cooped up in the bedroom for all these renovations. Things were cramped. There was hustle and bustle every single day. It wasn't very pleasant. Now, it is a little charming, though, and, and, and it's all well and good, but let's get to some of the weirdness. Because sometime in August slash September of 1984, Ken and the crew noticed some footprints on the walls. At first, they thought it was a weird coincidence, or maybe a joke, or maybe one of them did it, or one of the renovators. But nobody was really fessing up. Eventually, they forgot about it. They moved on. After some time, you know, they were doing some more renovations themselves. They started painting the walls. They forgot about the footprints. But then one day, they saw them again, near their original position, but not in the same position as before. Now, the gang was getting sufficiently spooked at this point, but eventually they chilled out, they laughed it off, they painted over the second set of footprints, just like before. A few days later, they went into town to do some grocery shopping. They brought all the food home, they put it all away. The next morning, they found tins of cat food that they had bought, stacked like a pyramid. And the next night, they found liters of lemonade and cat food tins and a dinner roll stacked in a perfect column. Now, nobody in the house fessed up to doing this, so either this was a very skilled Jenga player or some kind of paranormal activity. They thought maybe one of their friends was pranking them as the cottage was old and not exactly the most secure place of all time. So they started locking the doors more often and checking the windows were shut at night. Ken's friend John, who occasionally let himself into the house to record guitar tracks in the studio room, across from the bedroom, was also suspected to have been the culprit. But the sense of unease and dread had already creeped inside one place they couldn't seal off. Their minds. Shadows and creaks and noises from the house at night, formerly unnoticed, started to really freak them out. The three tried their best to ignore the weirdness going on, even though it continued. Kendon borrowed a BBC microcomputer from the school at which he taught, so that Nicola could use the word processor program, which was called Edward, which is E-D-W-O-R-D, Pretty clever, Pretty clever, right? pretty cheeky and clever, UK. Okay, good job, BBC. Uh, but uh, Nicola wanted to use the word processor, Edward, to write comedy sketches. Oh! <laughs> comedy sketches. Now, I mean, Art and I know a thing or two about comedy sketches. Do we okay? ever. Here's one for you, Nicola. A bunch of perverts from around the UK compete to be the best ookie cookie player. It's called the Great British Bukaki. Huh? That's solid gold right there. Soggy bottoms. Soggy bottoms. Oh, yeah. They're giving themselves the old Paul Hollywood handshake, you know? Practically writes itself, Practically, I mean, You can have that one. You can have. That's a freebie. Take it. Get your Mary's berries off on that, baby. Woo! (laughs) That's a golden one. Yeah. Um... So, for you youngins out here listening to this, you young and bunk funkers... A word processor is basically Microsoft Word or Google Docs before we had the convenience of the cloud. Uh, They were saving this shit to a fucking floppy disk. We're old. (laughs) 
I'm old. Hey, I remember those too, but yeah, we are fucking old. I remember the five inch ones, um, the big ones. The I, big I only had the, what were the other ones? Threes? Three and a half, yeah. Yeah. The threes I remember. Yeah. I learned how to program on a three inch floppy disk. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. That's just what I was born with. Three and a half inch. It's not about the size, it's about what you do with the floppy disk. About how much data it can store. Yeah. One day, Ken notices the computer was left out on the start screen, so he decides to check out what Nicola has been writing. Uh, but squeeze me, Ken! <laughs> Huge fucking breach of privacy right there, buddy. What the fuck? Uh, what's up, Ken? You trying to steal the great British Bukaki? Yeah. And make yourself a comedy celebrity? Trying to read some of Nicola's comedy sketches? She's trying to apply for some, uh... A cool cabaret thing that's going on in London. She was probably writing about some pervert in the UK who referred to his genitals as Monty Python. It's a fun bit. Nicola, you can have that one too. Nicola. And then the lady, her genitals he referred to as the Flying Circus. (laughs) Nicola, that's free of charge. Either way, Ken's here. Ken, the quote-unquote protagonist, end quote, (laughs) I don't know anymore, of the story at one point in time. He brings up the word processor. Anyway, so he's looking through Nicola's files, but then he notices there's this other strange file that he's never seen before. Apparently, he's done this before. (laughs) He brings it up, and he reads, Ken, Deb, Nick, true are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high, and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat, went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. And before, you know, I'd like to point out, though, that this message has a ton of um, spelling errors. Different words are capitalized and lowercased in different ways. There's... Lots of spaces. It looks like um, text that like it, it, like hasn't been formatted. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a poetry buff, and the syntax of this poem right. has got me E.E. E. Cummings. It's so offbeat. There you go. But damn it, you can't have that one. Nicola. Can't That's have that mine. One. That's Andy's. You can't have that one. Um. Now let's be clear. If this was one of Nicola's comedy sketches, uh, dang, it's got some fucking skills. I mean, that was hilarious. And I'm not just saying that so that I sound like I'm in on the joke when I actually don't get it. I, I can promise you that I do get the joke. I'm not going to explain the joke to you because right. that would ruin the joke. But <laughs> yeah. I get the joke. Right. We both so, get the joke. I right. mean, I think everybody gets the joke. I think everybody just, gets that. You just acknowledge that it's funny and move on. But this was not one of Nicola's writings. In fact... No one who lived in the house admitted it was them pulling an absolutely sick-as-fuck prank on Ken. Secondly, I just want to talk a little bit about the BBC Micro. This was pre-commercially viable internet service via an ISP, right? The mid-80s, the concept of the internet, like the global infrastructure of connected computers, connecting and sharing info, wasn't really fleshed out. The military had host-to-host network connections since the 60s and 70s, sure, but it wouldn't be until later in the 80s and 90s that personal computers with internet access became more viable. Um, you, could, you could probably network to network, computer to computer, like land share, not even land, but like connect computer to computer, these BBC micros. But there was no internet. You were not plugging this thing in. It didn't have Wi-Fi. It didn't have an Ethernet port. That stuff did not exist. 
Right. You could, you could I mean, like, it existed, but it didn't email exist Email and stuff existed at this point. Sure. You could send email. Right. But it's like, you had to be on the network. It's peer-to-peer. To get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what? okay, before we, let's stop nerding out. We can rule out that this was some <laughs> internet hacks or, or elite prankster on the internet because this thing didn't have an internet connection. All Edward did was literally write documents. Right. That's it. It just wrote words on the screen and then it could save those words. This is just a locally contained, local, standalone. All the documents are within the storage of that individual computing device. Right. And it's not connected to anything other than right. the electricity. So either somebody, yeah, they don't know where these files are coming from. Mm-hmm. So that whole thing happens, right? Ken and Deb are like, what the fuck? But eventually they all kind of move on. They're thinking nothing of it, but also they're still a little freaked out because, you know, while this is going on, their food and other things are still being like oddly stacked in their kitchen. Paranormal activity is continuing to happen in the house. Time goes by. Christmas of 1984 comes and goes. The ghost Jenga stacking continues. The gang are riddled with anxiety about it, but they live on. Ken had returned the computer and decided to reborrow it in February of 1985, the next year, because Nicola wanted to write some comedy sketches again. <laughs> Probably using some of my ideas. Right. Good and job, Ken Nicola. and Deb wanted to use it to play computer games. <laughs> oh, <probably laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, now, they left the computer in the kitchen, and once again, a mysterious file appeared called Reate. They opened it, and it read, I write on behold the of man what strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes, methinks, altercations are somewhat barful, for they break many asleeps in mine bed. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I hath no want to affray, for only sith mine half witted antic has ripped a twain mine bound hath I been Rift a night. I have seen many altercations. Lastly, charge house and thou home. Tis a fitting place with lights which devil maketh and costly things that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. Twas a great crime to have bribed mine house. L.W. Now, bunkbunkers. That was is- wonderful. <laughs> Jeffrey Chaucer himself. He's... It's literally, when the literally, is Sota. literally spinning in his grave right now. Oh yeah. Um, so this is all you could tell. Like this is very like old English. Um, so I did my best. Um, but in the book, the vertical plane can usually provides a modern English translation of the more archaic old English. Whenever he receives these types of messages, like what we just read in any future messages, re relay in this podcast we're going to just use the modern english versions but just note that every single message ken received from this lw was in old english uh so i'm going to reread that in like modern english translation i write on behalf of many what strange words you speak although i must confess that i too have been badly educated sometimes it seems changes are somewhat obstructive for many a time they disturb me sleeping in my bed you are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman, and you live in my house. I have no wish to alarm you, for it is only since the half-witted fool trick I ripped apart my confines have I been tormented at nights. I have seen many changes. Lastly, the schoolhouse and your home. 
It is a fitting place with lights which the devil makes and costly things which only my friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. L.W. So in response to receiving these strange Old English messages seeming from nowhere, Ken writes, After the initial shock, I became absorbed by it. We all were. The questions flew faster than storm-driven hailstones and vanished as quickly. A ghost? A spirit? A joke? A poltergeist? No clear answers. No answers of any kind. I scanned the disk index for other new entries, and I found two more, but both were blank. So Ken takes that old English message to a colleague at the school where he works, um, who is a, you know, kind of scholar of English history. His name is Peter Trinder. He'll come back later. He studies the message for a while. Some time goes by. And then he comes back to Ken and he says he feels the message is using era-correct vocabulary and accurate grammatically, albeit there's a few minor inconsistencies. You know, the, the message, you can't see this, but there were things like brackets, commas, question marks. There's like little things like that that wouldn't be appropriate. There's some grammatical errors. But Peter feels that uh, if someone is pulling a prank on Ken, then they are a very studious and crafty prankster because they have studied old English to the fucking T. Like they are speaking it really well. So Ken, Debbie, and Nicola are very uneasy about this whole thing. And, you know, who could be drafting period appropriate old English messages on their computer without their knowledge, literally breaking into their house. Uh, regardless, they decide, fuck it. We'll have our friend John draft a reply to this mysterious NW LW for shits and giggles. Why not? So they open up a new file and they write this. In the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, dear LW, thank you for your message. We are sorry for disturbing you. What would you like us to do? Do you live in a house on this land in about 1620? Do you want us to tell you more about our time? Why write a poem? Who is Edward Gray? Is he related to the Egerton family? Do you have a family? Is the King James or Charles Stuart? What is the charge house? Was this village called Doddleston in your time, and how many families lived here? Thank you very much for your messages. Thank you for not making us afraid. Ken, Debbie, and John. I feel like um, anybody from the future would be like, if they got a message that said, in the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, they would be like, do you have any idea how little that narrows it down? <laughs> this message could be from any time. <laughs> That's true. They're so long. Though. It could be from anywhere. <laughs> She's been alive for Who a Who knows long when time. this person was alive? <laughs> anyway. That's a good point. So to the absolute shock of Ken, Debbie, and John, a reply message appeared the next day. "'Twas an honest farm of oak and stone. It is helpful that you should tell me about thy time. Dost thou hath, parentheses, question mark, horse? Edmund Gray, brother of John Gray, lives at Kinnerton Hall, parentheses, question mark. Thy king, of course, is Henry VIII, who is six and forty. I need wit of King James. Mine charge house is a place of lure. Parentheses, schooling, more parentheses, question mark. LW, 28 March, Anno 1521, parentheses, question mark. Something doesn't add up about this reply. In Ken's words, it, quote, stank of fraud, end quote. Henry VIII was not even close to 46 in 1521. He had been on the throne about 12 years and was still a young man. Furthermore, 
The message was riddled with parentheses and question marks, uh, which were not something used in 16th century Old English, as we mentioned. So WTF was going on here. L-O-L. O-M-G. WTF is this? BBC. Ken continues to leave messages for LW on the BBC micro, just sort of explaining who he, that Ken is, uh, what he does, why he's here, etc. Not being too nosy or aggressive and asking LW about themselves. If this really is a phantom, he doesn't want to scare it off. And if this is a prankster, well, it's kind of fun in a scary way. <laughs> They're right? kind of getting into it. Yeah, he's getting into the little role playing here. Eventually, LW responds with a huge message. The kind of message where you're like, oh, fuck, you expect me to text back to every point made in this thing? I mean, for fuck's sake, I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial. And I hate phone calls. But maybe we ought to have a phone call because it would be easier to hash this out, my dude. Like, fuck, this, fucking, is this is a long, long, fucking, long message. fucking message. We'll summarize the message. LW reveals himself to be a man named Lucas. His wife and unborn son died from the plague in 1517. He lived in a house where Meadow College, a cottage, the place where Ken and Debbie lived, uh, was during Henry VIII's marriage to Catherine Parr, i.e. some point between 1543 and 1547. And this caused Lucas a lot of confusion because Ken was saying, well, I live there now. And Lucas was like, no, that's my house. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> seem to grasp that his house isn't there anymore and Meadow Cottage has been there but now and that they're at different time point periods. Uh, there's also one part in the message uh, where Lucas is talking about one of his friends, Richard Wishall, who has a farm. And he says, quote, I do so envy him. He has much there, but nothing that delights me more than his cheese. It cannot be equaled by any other for pleasantness of taste and wholesomeness of digestion, end quote. Oh, my God. You got to be BFFs with your local cheesemonger. I am always saying this. You literally are always saying I that. won't stop saying it. Become friends with your cheesemonger. Take them out to dinner. Try to seduce them if they are into it. <laughs> seduce your local cheesemonger today. This ad paid for you by... <laughs> this ad paid for you by Andy Hart. Vote Andy Hart. Constantly, continually, every election for every role. I got to win something eventually. <laughs> now, Ken and was... once I have power, <laughs> then you'll all pay. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have said that. Oh, fuck. What is it? It's the end. I didn't say that in my head. Oh, God damn it. Now, Ken was still skeptical about whether he was really chatting with someone from the past. But at this point, eh, you know, they were having fun with this whole mystery. He wanted to believe it was real. And if this was some well-studied prankster, well, they had Ken by the balls. Quote, the punctuation still looked very modern with its liberal use of full stops, commas, brackets, and question marks. There were dozens of questions to be answered. I don't think I wanted it to be a hoax anymore. I was so intrigued by it. But a clever hoax was still the only likely answer. End quote. So the issue is, is that, you know, Ken is struggling to communicate with Lucas something i struggle with with most most humans but not because of my off-putting aloof and weird personality but because of the time difference so this is a little bit different than what i experience when i talk to people right um it's yeah yeah not exactly the same sure ken can't just straight up ask lucas like hey man where the fuck did you get a computer <laughs> because lucas has no concept of a computer so ken like works with his friend and colleague peter trinder who's again is a kind of a scholar of this old English to drum up questions like, well, how can we talk to this guy? How can we learn about him? 
So they'd start to ask Lucas, what are some local landmarks you may have seen? Uh, How are you communicating with Ken? Who are people you might have known? In an effort to not only get more information from this Lucas fellow or prankster, but also get some historical context so that maybe they could look him up in a history book. One of Lucas's responses about his quote-unquote computer gives some interesting intel. The writing machine is a wonderful thing, something unnatural, I fancy. Unknown to myself, it may be, but I have seen you make lights on the box and am cunning. Uh, Lucas continues to refer to the computer as the quote-unquote light box. Uh, At some point in this correspondence, Lucas also reveals his last name, which is Wayneman. Lucas Wayneman, a fine fellow indeed. Hear, hear. Three cheers for Lucas Wayneman. So this is all well and good indeed. Ken and Debbie and Peter. Nicola had kind of moved out at this point. Uh, Yeah, she just sort of is there at first. I mean, she's the whole reason they get the computer, but then she just... Right. Eh, she's out of here. She does her own thing. She's tired of being a third wheel. So uh, so Peter kind of becomes the third wheel uh, after Nicola leaves. Uh, so these three, they're having themselves a budding friendship with a man from the past. It's cute and fun, like a Pixar movie. And Debbie's got that big behind, like a Pixar <laughs> mom. That'll come up later. <laughs> oh, oh, will it ever? You can tell Lucas, Lucas Wayman is already... Well, no, it literally will come up later. You'll see Wait wait for it, Bungbungers. Now let's take a break in the story here, though, uh, to mention something else about the Vertical Plane book. During all this communication, weird paranormal shit is happening in the house constantly. And Ken writes a lot about his day-to-day activities and thoughts. This stuff is nice, but it's it's most of what we're skipping in this retelling. Yeah, and there's a lot of just like, well, we had tea, and then we moved it, and it's like, okay. Yeah, let's get back to the messages. So here's a few things to note. Uh, things are being stacked, mostly kitchen items, etc. It's possible that a grocery store stock person moved into their house unknowingly <laughs> and was doing this stuff. Um, there were strange messages and things being written on the walls with chalk on the kitchen floors and, and on the walls. Uh, at one point, Debbie came home to feed the cats and saw all the furniture in the living room stacked up against one wall. Um, and she just left because she was freaked out by it. You can see a picture of the furniture in the book. That's right. Um, but also, one thing that keeps happening uh, is in the book is Ken trying to subdue the worries he has that a local friend of his, John, who is a guitar player, we mentioned him earlier, uh, and Ken has these fears that John is secretly breaking into Ken and Deb's house every night, stacking their kitchen items, and writing these messages on the computer, pretending to be a 16th century landowner named Lucas Wayneman, writing stuff in per- perfect old English dialect, all, all in an attempt to steal Ken's girlfriend, Debbie. <laughs> he's Mr. Steal Your Girl. If any, it, but look, if you had this stuff happening to you, the first thing you're thinking is like, oh, God, this is a friend trying to steal my girlfriend. There is definitely like that is like a vein that has already existed for Ken. And then this is just being. Yeah. <laughs> And we're not joking either. Those worries that John is out to steal Ken's girl come up a bunch in the book. This is one example. Uh, Here's a quote. Walking across the city, up beyond the north gate in the city walls, I thought some more about John, the guitar player. He could break in quite easily. He wanted to upset me so that he could appear smooth and clear-headed to impress Deb out of my life and into his. I tried to dismiss such thoughts as nonsense. Like, that comes up a lot. 
I tried to dismiss that those thoughts as nonsense and just believe I was communicating with somebody from the 16th century. You gotta worry about the Chad guitar player prankster who breaks into your house and constructs an elaborate hoax pretending to be a 16th century farmer named Lucas Wayman relaying messages across space and time via BBC microcomputer in order to make you seem like a paranoid virgin who believes in ghosts. It's all too common, Andy. I know, that's how I met my wife. <laughs> You she made was, another guy. She was dating my best friend, yeah. but I pretended to be I pretended to be a ghost from the past who communicated to him from the computer and I broke into his house every day and stacked <laughs> stuff in weird or weird weird places. And so then he started believing And I showed in up ghosts. and I was like, "Oh wow, that's not a big deal. You seem crazy. Uh my wife, are you okay?" <laughs> it also helps to just refer to people as what you hope they your relationship with them will be in the future. Uh, oh my god. I mean, Ken has got a lot of uh, anxiety and he writes about it in the book. Uh, he struggles a lot. He really does struggle a lot with this whole thing because he's very skeptical. He's very skeptical. And we're going to get into this, but he really doesn't want to believe this stuff. But like he's struggling because he kind of does. And Ken then also learns that Debbie, who, by the way, is only 19 years old at the time in almost 10 years, Ken's junior. Might be something else happening there is hanging out with John, the guitar player, and they're both getting into ley lines together. And then John read the book Poltergeist and the crew like to think about, you know, Lucas's messages some more and how it's like probably a hoax because he keeps bringing up like they're, they're thinking like this guy keeps bringing up like really specific things in a way that makes it seem like somebody who's pulling a prank and fishing for specifics. Like like Lucas feels way too much like a trope, like an old English trope. Like he's like, oh, what about your light box? Me thinks this doth is a work of the devil. Like, you know, he just says silly stuff like that where it's like, right. Is this a real person? Right. You know, uh, regardless, Ken heads <clears throat> to a bookshop in London that specializes in esoteric topics, buys the book Poltergeist, and reads it while drinking a cappuccino. He's, he's going deeper into the rabbit hole, but right. Ken is still not convinced just yet. He's still skeptical of everything that's happening. Um, skeptical or not, uh, they want to see how deep the rabbit hole actually goes here. So they leave more messages for LW and he responds, my pleasant fool, my servant thinks that you are all in my head. He says, I act like a seer, but I know you live now. He also says that my blood is poisoned and that it is my weak hinged imagination, but I am not mad. I think and told him so. I also said it is like fairy gold that he should keep it secret until I write a book. And here's a passage from the book, uh, Ken's reaction to receiving more LW messages. Quote, What a prospect. Either he was dead and we were alive, or he was alive and we were more than 400 years from the dates of our conception. In fact, we were alive and so was he. He thought it fairy gold, this communication. He was making notes of it for a book. But I don't know why I did Ken like that. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Ken Ken talk, talks a lot more like this. What a prospect. Either he was dead and we were alive, or he was alive and we were more than 400 years from our, the dates of our conceptions. In fact, we were alive and so was he. He thought it fairy gold, this communication. He was making notes of it for a book. Pretty good. In later messages, Lucas reveals that the king's sheriff pesters him for what seems like every hour about Lucas's land, and Lucas has uh, trouble with the light box, a.k.a. the computer, he uses to communicate with Ken. Also, 
This is very silly, but at one point, Ken describes a Jaguar XJ6 coupe that he had bought or was driving at the time and somehow included a photo of the car in his message to Lucas. And Lucas responds, My good friend, I have found your picture of the cart, but it is a crude thing, for without the horse it won't go far. Tell me what unknown wood this is. It is like silk. I cannot describe it better. And this is a perfect example of like, this LW character seems like such a tropey fake character, but but hey, there's plenty more story to tell, okay? Oh, how with you? Well, how many horsepower does this cart get without a horse? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. <laughs> Plus, how did he send the picture? There's like weird paranormal. Well, I mean, obviously we'll get into it later, but there's there's they have the ability to. This is like where they like left the picture in an yeah, envelope or something, right, on top it, of the computer. And yeah, it somehow, and it can like yeah. transfer to his time, right. We'll we'll get into a little bit more about how they actually communicate a little right. bit later. But let's fast forward a bit here, Bunkfunkers. Ken and LW just they continue to talk. We learn uh, through Ken's communication with Lucas that he intended Bracenose College in Oxford. Uh, the King's Sheriff is Sir Thomas Fowlshurst. <laughs> I'm Sir Thomas Fowlshurst. Sir Thomas Fowlshurst, bring me a trencher. Another gallon of ale. Shut your gob, knave. <laughs> Lucas mentions a friend he knew at college who turned out to be Erasmus, one of the most important writers in the pre-Reformation era. Peter Trinder has, this is fun, has Ken ask Lucas to d- define the word Jake's uh, by asking, does Jake's mean lavatory, a.k.a. a bathroom? And Lucas responds like, yeah, I have one out by the pig shed. What the fuck are you talking about? So then Ken becomes worried that Lucas thinks Ken is a weird toilet obsessed peasant. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you asking me about my toilet, you freak? Little weirdo. Look at this guy from the future. He's Man. obsessed with my toilet. Ken and I have so many of the same anxieties, except I'm super aware that everybody knows I'm obsessed with toilets. You're a toilet obsessed weirdo. Peasant. Yeah, peasant. At one point, Andy, here we're getting more into this. Yeah, Debbie, here we go. Debbie, Ken's girlfriend, has a quote unquote weird dream <laughs> about Lucas. I think she meant to say wet dream. <laughs> where she can see him in her dream. The next day, Lucas sends a love poem via the computer about a girl he saw in his dream, who sounds a lot like Debbie. Oh, yeah. Big red flag here, Ken. Oh, yeah. Ken? Ken? Big red flag. Uh, a man from the 16th century is going to steal Debbie away from you. Two fronts here. We got John, the guitar player. We got player. John, a real person, and then this person from the past that's been dead for 400 years. <laughs> uh, Debbie continues to explore ley lines and learns that one runs directly through their house at Meadow Cottage, and this could be why she's able to see Lucas in her dreams. The gang continue to question Lucas about his time period, people he may have known at college, landmarks, and then they try to look up those answers to see if Lucas's messages are factually correct. But remember, there's no internet at the time. So this means they have to go to a thing called a library. A what? A library, a place where there's like books and stuff. Never heard of it. In London or find special history books at Oxford to do research on all of his answers. It takes a long time. At one point... They leave the computer on in the kitchen, but have a conversation about Lucas in the living room. And Lucas replies via the computer saying that, hey, I can hear you fucking talking about me. And the gang discuss whether Lucas can hear him through the computer or through their minds or what's going on. Either way, everybody's freaked out. Right. So there's some kind of weird connection going on. Yeah. This computer. 
Lucas eventually travels to a town called Stopford to go meet an old friend and tell this old friend about how he's communicating with a group of people through a light box. Because up until this point, Lucas has had no one to talk to about this bizarre scenario. And his time period wasn't exactly sociably acceptable to go around saying, hey, I'm chatting with people from the future on this magical light box. <laughs> He's a witch. He's a witch. Burn him. Later, a friend of Lucas's then starts communicating with the gang. It turns out that Lucas has been arrested and is being held by the local sheriff. Again, Sir, Sir Thomas, Thomas Fowlshurst. Uh, Lucas is being held due to his communications with the light box or Leems Boist, as Lucas calls it, uh, his word for a computer, in his house. The friend also reveals that Lucas is a pseudonym. <clears throat> so it's not his real name, and that's why the gang can't find any info on him. Wow. Lucas's friend starts communicating with the gang, and he's very intrigued about the future and wants to know how to cure the plague and who is going to be the king next. This is literally the smartest person in this whole story, <laughs> yeah. which why wouldn't you get intel on the future? Strike it rich while you can, baby. We got this fucking plague going on, and Lucas never once thinks, hey, how'd you guys fucking cure that This thing? guy could be like, uh, yeah, like Lucas was never like, hey, he's more like, oh, what a silly course you have. Let me tell you about cheese that I enjoy. And people were like, dude, uh, so did you get any information about how to cure illnesses or advance society? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I totally forgot. I was too busy talking about cheeses that are quite good. I had a quite good cheese. Will you shut the fuck up about cheese? Lucas, shut the fuck up about cheese. We love cheese, but shut the fuck up. Learn about the future. People are dying of the plague. Jesus Christ. Um, so, uh, Debbie uh, had yet another dream about Lucas. <laughs> in which Lucas tries to get Debbie to use a knife against his maid, Catherine. And Lucas is aggressive and shouting at Catherine. And she's crying. <gasps> The dream makes the entire gang feel really uneasy about Lucas, and they aren't sure what to make of it. Is it really just a dream or a ley lines-like connection to who he really is? The gang worries that maybe Lucas isn't who he claims to be. The friend of Lucas reveals that the sheriff, Sheriff Thomas Fowlshurst, <laughs> won't release Lucas until Ken reveals himself in person to the sheriff. As the computer that Lucas uses to communicate with Ken only appears when Lucas is present. Everyone in Lucas's time period feels like Ken is some demon or phantom, and Lucas is in big trouble for talking to demons. He might be a witch or an agent of the devil. Regardless, Lucas is then released and held under house arrest, resuming communication and confessing that he's pretty fucking scared of the fate that could await him. Anyway, Sir Thomas Fowles, the sheriff has his men guard every door in Lucas's house. He's stuck inside talking to Ken. Uh, here's some of their correspondence. I think we are a history book that has its front and back pages joined together. We are each a side of it. The boist comes not from my time, nor your time, but from God, as it were a guide for some purpose. I have told the sheriff that though I have seen you and your sweet maid many times... The One. sweet maid, by the way, that's Debbie he's referring to. That's right. Sweet maid is Debbie. Yeah, we'll get to it. One cannot speak with them, nor can I either, and never had. But I said you are of strange description and appearance that it would frighten any man to see you. I told him it is not too wise. Oh my God, fucking roasted. 
Dude. Lucas is like, I've never seen your ugly face, and it would totally frighten someone from my time. Also, I've seen your sweet maid, babe, many times in my dreams. Uh. Uh. Mmm. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I think Lucas might have been the original songwriter of the song. Is she really going out with him? Is she really going out with him? Is she really gonna take him home tonight? Uh, originally written by uh, UK new wave artist Joe Johnson, I think. Wow. I think in 87. Big if true. Correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. Either way, the Sugar Ray version is really good. <laughs> Wait, Sugar Ray? Is it Sugar Ray? Uh, who sang it? Oh. I don't remember. Anyway. Anyway, Lucas, Ken, and Debbie chat more. Uh, Lucas is confused because he thought Ken and Deb and Peter were from the year 2109, as in 2109, not 1985. Uh, they kind of go back and forth. You said your time is 1985. I thought you were also from 2109, like a friend who brought the box of lights, pray. Now, this is a big lore reveal right here, because it turns out that someone from the future, the year 2109, traveled all the way back to Lucas's time and brought the computer to Lucas, the light box. So, Ken, Deb, and Peter try to contact 2109. They write a message with the subject line, like with the first line being calling 2109, which Ken admits feels silly and like Star Trek. They then send the message to Lucas and 2109 responds. Here's 2109's response. Ken, Deb, Peter, we are sorry that we can give you only two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding but cause what should not be to happen, or two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall, in your lifetime, change changes the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he, it, question mark, is. So, 2109 is pretty weird and speaks as if it is a collection of people, things, spirits, uh, who knows what. I mean, 2109 also talks in like weird riddles. It's very cryptic and it's hard to understand. It seems like 2109 has this like higher purpose for sending the computer connection between Ken and Debbie and Peter and Lucas and that it won't reveal why it's doing that because it could disrupt this greater plan, right? It, 2109 may also be a year. It might be a thing. It might be a person. It might be a dimension. We don't really know. But what we do know is that the mystery is growing deeper, right? So Lucas is still very worried about getting arrested again for communicating with Ken and Debbie through the light box. But he says he trusts Ken and his friends and that Ken is a good person and probably not a spirit or phantom or agent of the devil. And he pleads with Ken to help him or the Sheriff Thomas Fowlshurst uh, will surely put him to death for witchcraft. Can we just say what an abundance of deputies Sheriff Thomas Fowlshurst had? He could put somebody guarding every door of Lucas's house. He was powerful, man. Either this the king was the, sheriff. I guess. He's the like king the sheriff. Most, he's a sir. Most important thing going on in the He's an county important guy, Andy. Don't well, don't disperse the name of Sir Thomas 
So I'll have you put to death. How many whole chickens do you think he ate in his oh, time? A lot. A lot. It is at this point in the story, though, that Ken really starts to believe this is not a prank. He's grown attached to this person he's never met. Quote, Perhaps it was a feeling of responsibility I carried, but this communication moved me almost to tears. There were the words of a man in fear for his life, a man brave enough to face the future and speak out. He would be a condemned man if we did nothing. More than anything, this message had a heart, a soul of its own. It was no scholarly joke. End quote. <laughs> That's what separates us true skeptics from those friggin' posers. I would never get emotionally attached to anything. You'd, you'd, you'd still be like, fuck this guy. If somebody told me you didn't exist, I would be like, probably not. And I I've always feel been skeptical of Art's existence. <laughs> yeah. I've never touched him. <laughs> Is he even real? <laughs> uh, in the meantime, Ken and his crew try to think of a way to save Lucas's life. They remember a random reference Lucas made in an earlier correspondence to Henry Mann, Dean of Chester, and they dig up information in the present that Mann had in 1533 communicated with Elizabeth Barton, the so-called, quote-unquote, maid of Kent. Barton was a Catholic nun who had made prophecies critical of Henry VIII's marriage to Anne Boleyn and who was executed as a result in 1534. Ken gives this information to Lucas to use as a bargaining chip with Sheriff Thomas Fowlshurst. Also, what the fuck? Does Henry Mann not deserve to fucking live? This is bullshit. This guy talks to an excommunicated... He talks to a nun who talks shit about the king. So they put the nun to death. Yeah. But the fact that this guy talked to her, mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we can use that. What are these pawns in your fucking game, Ken? You can just play with people's lives. Maybe Henry Mann should talk to 2109 and get his own leaps voiced. It's and then maybe up. somebody would try to save his life. But guess what? Fuck you, Henry Mann. <laughs> um, so Ken gives this information to Lucas, who uses it as a bargaining chip. However, it doesn't work. And Lucas gets arrested and is to stand trial regardless. But is kept alive to keep the light box working. Lucas sends a very solemn final reply the day before he is to go to trial. He surely believes he will be put to death for witchcraft, and he wishes Ken and Deb nothing but the best and sends them his love. Quote, Not to go forwards is to go back to the moment of death. God be with you, Lucas. With Lucas awaiting trial, the messages dwindle until Ken and Debbie start receiving weird messages again from 2109. Ken and Deb are begging 2109 for information on Lucas, like his real name, so they can look Lucas up in a history book and get some intel on him or his time period and hopefully get another bargaining chip to get him free from the trial. When they ask this, 2109 responds, One, do you wish to know of Lucas and what of him? Cause the computer to have been never in his time. Thus he shall fall to no unnatural death. He would have no knowledge of you and your time to come. You shall have no proof. Two, you continue with the computer and risk the sight of your destiny as Lucas. But, ah, but something will be proved. You three must sit, understand, and talk and listen. Most importantly, the answer will come to you all, not from an individual. During Lucas's trial period, the sheriff 
begins to use the box himself to communicate with Ken. Oh, no. Uh, no. Oh, fuck. And explains what's happening with Lucas. you know, during the trial. Uh, is not as educated as Lucas. So his messages are like full of mistakes and errors. They're fucking hard to read. And they don't even bother translating them. <laughs> so they just, in the book, they just leave him as old English. Oh, poor Thomas Fowlshurst. <laughs> so disrespected. So here's uh here's the sheriff talking about Lucas uh while he's on trial. He cried not for mercy, but did say the commuter could only have come from God, and that they were no more than irregulous, half-witted botches, who be it themed to be snick up. <laughs> And all those jowl movements were were included. <laughs> Basically, but, but here's the thing, though. Lucas said the computer came from God. It's a good thing. And the jury of his trial deserved to be hanged for putting him, a man of God, on trial. Boom. Fucking roasted. Lucas is a fucking badass oh with these God. roasts. Thomas Falhurst's butt's got to be hurting after that for roast. It has to be. Lucas is basically on trial for death. And he's like, fuck you. Flipping the bird. Fuck you guys. If Lucas was alive today, he would be starring in so many viral YouTube videos. Oh yeah, so much world star. He would be the Live he would be league. the brand ambassador for the Wendy's Twitter, clapping back at other fast food brands with these hot fucking roasts. <laughs> He's so fucking good. You guys deserve to be hanged, not me. A few days later, Lucas writes in to say that while he's not going to be put to death, he had been forced to do a deal with the uh, Grossvener family who are like kind of his landlords. But basically, they're going to be taking over his house and his land in none less than two months. Two months. Two months. Two months. Lucas thought this, this deal was probably for the best. One, he doesn't have to die. But he has to give up his land and thus access to the light box. Rather than deal with the sheriff for the rest of his life or with the stigma of being involved in witchcraft in this town, or worse... You know, the sheriff realizes that the sheriff went and fucking communicated with the light box. And so he might realize that the light box doesn't harm your soul. And then maybe he wanted to take it for himself. And then Lucas has to. This is just the lesser of two evils. I'll give everything up. I get to keep my life. Right. So after Lucas's arrest and trial, things start to go back to normal and communication with Lucas returns. The paranormal activity also continues at Meadow Cottage, and Ken and Debbie are getting really annoyed by it. They ask Lucas if he, too, is having any paranormal activity in his house. Uh, but, of course, they can't just say, like, our ghosts and shit moving stuff around <laughs> in your house because, yeah. like, they have to ask it in a, in, a, in a way. So they say, do small platters or knickknacks move without your touch? And Lucas is like, yeah, dude, I thought that was you guys causing it. Uh I thought that was you. Lucas might be educated, but he's kind of a dumbass. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that was you guys. Why are you talking to me about my toilet? <laughs> Why do you keep bringing up my toilet every time we talk, Ken? Uh, Ken and Debbie and Lucas then all together start to suspect it is this 2109 entity thing causing the paranormal activity. And when they do start to notice interference in their messages and even messages being deleted, apparently 2109 didn't like them conspiring against it. Debbie comes up with the idea of having Lucas write on a piece of paper with charcoal. Lucas had previously been able to communicate through chalk on the walls, so why not charcoal on paper? Maybe this could bypass 2109's tampering. So they do exactly that. 
Within one of their early charcoal on paper messages, Lucas reveals his real name. This is a big act of trust. Yeah. My friend, the person is from your time, I think. Isleful is that without light, with brightness gone. Yes, you have my name in your book. I think, if not John, put Tom. And I think you will understand my name. It is also the place of Peter's house. What does this book of names and ages say about me? Love, Thomas. They use the poem slash riddle and figure out that Lucas's real name is Thomas Harden. Spelt in a very old Englishy way of H-A-W-A-R-D-E-N, but it's pronounced Harden. So he's Thomas of Harden. Like so many names in the UK, so many superfluous letters yeah, that's right. that don't contribute to any sure. part of the pronunciation. Um, what is it with you UK people in your names? Just use the letters you need. They research his name in their history books and find that Thomas was a graduate of Grace Nose College, like he said, mm-hmm. who had been the dean of the chapel there, but was expelled in 1538 for refusing to expunge the name of the Pope from a book in the chapel, as was required by law after the break with Rome. Oh my God, Let's what fucking a go, fucking dude. badass. He's a fucking badass Catholic, dude. That dude fucking said, no way. I love the Pope. I'm not going to cover up the name of the Pope. We can't just move the Pope to another book. The Pope exists. <laughs> not my Pope. <laughs> So Lucas slash Thomas reveals that the computer was brought to him by someone called the one uh, from the year 2109, which is why he assumed, you know, Ken was from 2109 earlier. He says, the man who came to our home when I last spoke was the man called one. I asked him if he had come to take the leams boist away. He spoke straight away and said that he had no want for the leams, but that it wasn't mine to offer. 2109 keeps trying to send messages to Ken via the computer. And it's clear that 2109 is annoyed that Lucas slash Thomas are talking via charcoal and paper instead and like became super best friends and pen pals across space and time, which is like super cute. (laughs) Yeah, it's super fucking cute. So Ken gets tired of 2109's jealous third wheel messages and sends them this quote. 2109. Forget the fourth form gloom and doom and explain what you want as you are preventing us communicating with our friend. Of what harm is that? We love the fellow and he us. If you wish to help, please give your analysis of poltergeist phenomena. Beings of your ability should be less moody when confronted with us simple types. A little open communication goes a long way when cooperation is the issue. Dig. Ken and Deb, Lucas, goodly fellow, pray you write to mind selves as to your thinking at this time. Ken. Holy fucking shit. Ken absolutely fucking laid down some hot fire on 2109. Stop being so fucking moody, 2109. God damn. I don't know if 2109 have asses, but if they do, they're fucking burnt. Yeah. Fucking scorched. I know. But, uh, Art 2109, maybe 2109 fucking needs its own Wendy's Twitter because they clap back with a huge message. Uh, it would probably be like nine or ten Twitter messages. It's such a long message. Having, but th- here's a snippet. Dig, you are mistaken. 
We do not speak any gloom and doom, but possibly you refer to the forces that you yourself have unleashed against our better judgment. It is correct for you to assume that the poltergeist phenomena is present in the communications, but we can say very little about this subject as only what you will know already. Long story short, basically 2109 and Ken go back and forth on why the poltergeist phenomenon is happening so much in Ken's house. 2109 says they have altered the communication and attempted to stop communication between Ken and Lucas until the poltergeist activity cools down as too much kinetic energy has been built up in the physical space they both occupy in their respective timelines. Whew. 2109 then sends a message asking if Ken and Debbie obtained Lucas's real name. Ken, Deb, Peter, we have reason to believe you have Lucas Wayneman's true name. If this is correct, you must say so, so that we may rectify the problem immediately before it is accepted. You may now continue to write to Lucas to establish your responsibility to our experiments and towards a better understanding of time and its forces. 2109. I guess here we also learn 2109's true purpose to study the link of time and various forces. Ken informs 2109 that he does have Lucas's real name, Thomas Harden, and also that 2109 better leave Lucas alone and stop fucking with their communication regardless of their dumb fucking experiment. Ken is slowly transforming from the virgin to the Chad before our very eyes. <laughs> this dude does not give a fuck. He is here to chat with his 16th century pen pal and chew bubblegum, and he is all out of bubblegum. So get fucked. Get fucked, everybody. Ken, the badass, just entered the chat. <laughs> he just put on his deal with it sunglasses. He fucking <laughs> ripped the sleeves off of his arms. He's got a katana strapped to his he's back. He's got a fucking katana gun strapped to his back. And he's ready to fuck shit up. And he's ready to worry more about if his girlfriend is being fucked by a guitar player. <laughs> he's gonna fuck shit up. He's gonna fucking start a riot. <laughs> but 2109 is so fucking pissed that Ken <laughs> learned Lurkus, Lucas's, Lurkus's, Lurkus's <laughs> real name. Lurker. Oh, if only you had listened. At present, you have two Lucases running around your house. If at any time there are two to meet, we cannot explain the devastation that will erupt within the time continuum. We must stop communication with Lucas 1, but we cannot interfere with the other while we decide what can be done to rectify the problem. You must help be giving us every word uttered by Thomas Hardowine from the second you received his true name. You must also state how much information you have on this man. Everything. Word for word. Avoid any other communication you may have with him. Desperation. Be quick. 2109. 2109 also reveals that they have been altering the message between Ken and Lucas since the very beginning. And 2109 is the reason why some of Lucas's messages didn't make sense and use things like brackets and commas and question marks, which again would not be in line with 16th century writing and why some of the grammar fucking didn't make sense either. 2109 and Ken and Peter go back and forth for a long time. I mean, they are just like not seeing eye to eye. There is a fucking rift. On the concept of time travel and who the one is and like why all this stuff is happening and what are you studying and what are these ghosts and tell us more about the future and ultimately it leads to a whole lot of fucking nothing because everything 2109 says is cryptic and weird and they won't give up the goddamn answers. So Ken, Deb, and Peter also go to the Society for Psychical Research and see what they think they should do about all this hullabaloo. The computer, the messages, the paranormal activity, 2109, everything. 
The SPR associates David Welsh and John Bucknell devise a test where they will write 10 questions for 2109 in a room away from Ken, Deb, and Peter, and then erase the questions. If this computer really did have a connection to the future or past, then Ken should receive 2109's responses, regardless. Some time passes, and sure enough, 2109 responds to all 10 questions. Here's what 2109 said. David, John, David, you interfere with communication. Next time you decide to perform your little experiment, you must be clear from here. We suggest you try someone else to sit with Debbie. I don't know. That just sounds funny now, <laughs> uh, considering everything else. <laughs> yes, we are what you would call a tachyon universe, but your understanding is incorrect. We ask nothing more of you than to carry on as you would prefer. We will have John present if given choice, or you may bring another as mentioned. No, it is no concern to us that this is not proved. We will give you a plotting of a star next time. We move at a speed so that we cover every point in your time and universe. We have no form. We feed of a neat energy that you will not have heard of. 2109. Now, that's just a snippet of 2109's response. But, you know, that end part to me is a little bit like, I have a girlfriend, but she goes to a different school. You do not know her. She lives in a different dimension. Here is what we never eat. heard of her. We eat energy, but you don't know about it because you haven't heard of They're it. They're fucking before. hipsters too. They're like, it's an energy. You wouldn't understand it. It's so underground. You've it's, never heard of it. it. You've never heard of it. I will eat it. But if you want to check it out sometime, you probably can't get in any way. Um, <clears throat> so that's just a, sh- a snippet. Uh, the SPR guys go back and forth with 2109 for a while, trying to get answers from them on mathematical equations and time travel and quantum physics and tachyons. You know, if they're, I mean, makes sense, right? Yeah, they want to get some, like, if this is real, if they're actually communicating with beings from the future, they should know some of these, especially these higher level beings. Right. This is like, ba- like advanced concepts to us, to people from 2109 who are clearly very advanced dealing right. with time travel, they should know. So ultimately, this should have been pretty legitimate proof. Ken writes this, then it struck me, 2109 had seen the questions that none of us in the cottage had seen. I put the telephone down and began hopping and dancing around the room in exultation. We've done it. We've done it. We've done it. It's okay. We're not hoaxing. We're not being hoaxed. It's proved. It's real. They appeared to be suggesting that they were coming into this universe from another dimension, or perhaps that their universe was passing through ours. But SPR weren't so convinced. Even though 2109 had responded to all 10 questions and more, they should, the SPR guys should be able to rule out Ken, Deb, and Peter as culprits in this prank. Like, they didn't have access to the computer. They couldn't write stuff down. They were communicating straight up with this person. But the SPR said perhaps they installed tiny microphones in the room where the SPR wrote the questions and then used the sounds of the typing to deduce the questions or there had to be some other explanation. The SPR then strangely starts to back away from the case and ignore Ken and Deb's messages, even though they were super interested in it at first. And, you know, Ken and Deb are like, hey, let's keep, let's keep moving forward. This is crazy, right? And it's almost as if 2109's responses had some effect on them, or I don't know, they just started to back away. Yeah. This was their this was the uh, SPR's final report on the matter. Quote, 
The case has been investigated by the respected academic body, the Society for Psychical Research, who are satisfied that human agencies are responsible. Having established to its satisfaction that human agencies were responsible, it was not the job of the society to point the finger. Mr. Bucknell was convinced that nothing paranormal is occurring. Something or somebody is doing it, he said. It's as if the people who so uh, that was the end of the quote, by the way, it's as if the people who so believe in the paranormal convince themselves it's not paranormal because it happened so effortlessly. Right. Uh, and shortly after the two SBR members who wrote the questions to 2109, David and John left without a trace, which is very bizarre. And Ken and Debbie and Peter felt they were pretty much shit out of luck. John Bucknell never filed an official report on the case and left the society in 1986. He has been impossible to contact ever since. So the SPR stuff was a total wash. And Ken and Debbie feel like the best use of their short time left with Thomas before the Grossfinder family comes to take away his land from him is to go back through their early messages with him and try and find out, well, what exactly did 2109 alter or edit and what was really Thomas's writing? Debbie showed Thomas another of the very early messages. Uh, quote, it was, I think, the long communication of the 16th of February in which Lucas described his visit to Chester and Natwich. Thomas said it was a fake. He didn't remember writing any of it, though he again said they were his words. We assume that 2109 may have been trying to, quote, unquote, help us by adding ideas of their own. We therefore doubted the usefulness of any of those messages with modern punctuation. 2109 then randomly contacts Ken and Debbie and Peter and instructs them to reach out, reach out to a well-known UFOologist named Gary Rowe. So, in order that you may pay a little more attention to our needs, we ask you to do the following. There is a brilliant researcher, UFOologist. We know you don't like the word. His name is Gary M. Rowe. His ideas differ somewhat to yours, but nevertheless, he can help you with a couple of your problems. 2109 is so fucking passive aggressive and snarky. <laughs> yeah. So in order that you may pay a little bit more attention to our needs. Jesus fucking Christ. We know you don't like the word ufologist. So the gang go and meet with this Gary guy and tell him everything that's been going on. Gary devises a plan to conduct tests similar to the SPR research, but he says, hey, I'm going to be more thorough and I'm going to share my tests and results with you guys. Firstly, that he'd come and monitor the cottage kitchen with a spectrum of equipment, video, audio, computer-linked sensors, and he'd write a report to go with it. Secondly, he'd use other means of probing for the truth. Boing. Perhaps the truth lies in Debbie's knickers. <laughs> <laughs> it is me, Gary Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Gary comes to do some experiments, wink, wink, on the kitchen and sets up all of his UFO lab equipment and monitors the kitchen for a whole day and concludes nothing happened. Uh, big old nothing burger. Big old nothing burger. That's the only thing cooking in that kitchen that day. A big old nothing burger. So Deb and Ken write to 2109 like, what the fuck? You asked us to bring this Gary guy here and then you don't do anything? What gives? Uh, and so this is... Uh, the response from 2109, uh, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. So. Hello. There are questions to be asked and there are questions to be answered. His company powerful, but not limitless. We are. There are reasons behind motive and motive is therefore reasonable to the man and the self. 
The experiment will continue without Thomas for the time being. We shall watch and react accordingly in the vertical plane. Greetings, Gary Rowe. Your move. We are here only to aid the experiment. We mean your kind no harm. The first mention of the vertical... This is the first mention of the vertical plane, which is the title of the novel and could be the time travel link that 2109 is studying, the link that connects them with Thomas and Ken. The next day, Gary wants to leave a sealed envelope on the computer for 2109. Ken and Deb are confused and ask if they want it typed up, and 2109 says no, starts giving Gary instructions for only Gary. Uh, And then 2109 sends a message marked for Gary's eyes only. Oh man, I love that Bond movie for Gary's eyes only. The you know the Bond girl in that one is Debbie Shags a lot. <laughs> for Gary's eyes only. <laughs> for Gary's eyes only. How many times has the phrase for Gary's eyes only ever been used in history? Like, hey, I have to imagine so few. Yeah. This is for Gary's eyes only. We're peeping at these documents. For Gary's eyes only. Like the phrase, I don't know why this just seems, how many times has the phrase for Roy's eyes only been used? that, That phrase for someone's eyes only is like, I feel like it's very governmental, but at the same time, it's like you just be like, hey, you can't look at that. Only Gary can look at that. That's for Gary's eyes only, fella. Papers off. So Ken and Debbie do as instructed. They meet Gary at a local pub. They hand him the envelope. He reads it. He's very unhappy. And the result, with the result, and then just fucking leaves. Quote, the next day, 2109 announced that there was a message for Gary and it should be printed without us reading it. I did as they asked and printed it up with my back to the machine since I was asked. We had been requested by Gary not to put it in the post and by 2109, not even to read it and certainly not to discuss it over the phone. So all we could do was arrange to meet him in Rawl. What is that? Rawl? Ryle? Ryle. Real? Real. I really don't know. R-H-Y-L. I really don't know. Eh. That night in a pub near the hospital. End quote. Ken and Deb then act as uh, fucking couriers um, for messages from 2109 to Gary. And 2109 will not reveal what is on these messages. It's like... They have just been totally fucking pushed to the side. And it's now just the 2109 and Gary show. Um, this is actually a very funny exchange because this happens a lot. They they act as couriers for 2109 and Gary. And then Ken is getting like really fucking tired of playing messenger <laughs> for 2109 and Gary. So he sent 2109 this message. He says, 2109, I would be grateful if you would release Thomas in seven days so that we may conclude our communications with dignity. Ken. Then 2109 says, Ken, thank you. We do notice your hard work. Thomas will be back as soon as possible. Our conversations with Gary will not be of interest to you. We aren't plotting anything against you. <laughs> we're seriously, we're not plotting anything against you. We promise. You didn't bring it up, but I swear we're not plotting anything against you. It's certainly not 2109 and Gary working to cut you out of the picture entirely. And have sex with Debbie. <laughs> we're certainly not using Gary as a conduit to have sex with Debbie and plotting against you to take her from your life. Even though you didn't bring any of that up, we sense that you feel it and want to allay those concerns. <laughs> so eventually communications with Thomas uh, were restored. Thomas also revealed how he first came across the light box or the computer he used to communicate. 
Um, and here's what he said. Catherine was sleeping in the chimney, sleeping in the chimney seat. So I went over to pick her up and carry her to bed when I saw a green light shining from the holes of my chimney. And from this light stepped what I thought was the devil himself. I never feared for my soul so much in my life, but so afraid was I that I couldn't move away from this strange messenger. He said, fear not, good Thomas. You are starred to be a great man. If you do not have fear, but keep your faith strong. Then, after other words which I do confess were not like devil talk, he was gone, leaving the leams, which appeared to be the same as your computer. I immediately woke Catherine, but she didn't see the leams, nor hear me speak with the metaphysical person. But she said, You, silly Thomas, were in your dreams. Now don't frighten me with your disturbed thoughts. So to mope... So to mope... I... <laughs> Whoa! That, like, broke my brain. Uh, so to mope I did for their shown the leams, but Catherine sought not. I was so worried for my sanity that I spoke the Lord's Prayer all night, but it would not go, but sat with glee unseen by all but myself. Then two days afterwards, Catherine was singing in the chimney by the fire, and Leems and I saw that her words appeared on it. So when Catherine went walking, I tried verses myself and other words and gained knowledge about the Leems. After I was familiar with the Leems, I asked why it was there, and that was when the words I showed you on paper came. I think now they were from 2109. I was so shocked by this that I thought it was communication with the devil by this device. I made a promise not to allow myself to be damned by such madness, but it wouldn't go away, though no one saw it. After this, I was haunted in my sleep by strange dreams, and all day devils turned my house upside down, scaring Catherine so. I went to the Leams and asked it why it wanted to bring such fear into my house. Then I think you wrote, and all was still. Eventually, the Grossfinner family, Hardin's landlords, demand that he leaves his house. Hardin leaves a final message wishing Ken and his friends Debbie and Peter well, stating that he will go to Bristol to buy a horse, then see if he is welcome again at Bracenose. He says that he will write a book about the events that happened here and hopes that someday they might meet so he can read Ken's book and Ken can read his. <clears throat> Grossfinner says that they will burn my old farm down, and that except for him, all the village despises me. All least, that is his view. It is good to know that all will change, and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Your 400 years is a long time, and there is much to happen to mankind. I shall go by boat from Chester to Bristol. There I will buy a horse, for mine will not go on a boat. <laughs> Stupid horse. <laughs> Fucking horse. <laughs> Fucking Lucas, man. He's got to give one last dig. Uh, oh, he burned that horse. Oh, wait, hang on. It is as scared of water as it is scared of fives. Horse sickness. <laughs> he puts that in parentheses. Are you down with the horse sickness? Get down with the horse sickness. I also weep for him. I shall try to make my stay at Bracenose, though I know I was expelled many years ago. I will write my book about my brothers and maid, and to and of the end of Lucas and the little puppy, 
Uh, oh, uh, Ken and Debbie have a dog, a little puppy. That comes up a lot in the story, but we skipped all that stuff. <laughs> and of our love for each other, one day you will all sit down at my table for wine and meat by the river in Oxford. Hmm, no cheese? Yeah. Where we shall read each other's books and laugh. And we shall speak tr of truth and good men watching Oxford change together forevermore. In your time, my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we, uh, we will all be truly embraced. My love to all, I shall await you in Oxford. Signed, Thomas Harden. Aww. Ken does find a reference to uh, Thomas Harden, or at least someone with his name becoming vicar at Little Barrington in Gloucestershire. 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 From uh, 1551 to 1554. There is a record of a Thomas Harden being a student at Bracenose College. And Thomas Harden was not just a student, but one of the 12 founding fellows of Bracenose College. That guy exists. Yeah. The story ends with some more cryptic fucking messages from 2109. There is another person to come. They will be the help we need. <laughs> God damn it. So passive aggressive. Ken and Debbie, you suck at this. We're going to find somebody else to do it better than you. You will know them when they come. Thomas did eventually write his book and soon died. Shortly after, he placed it in a secure place. It shouldn't take too many years to find it. Though he wrote it in Latin with the help of a friend that he met in Oxford. The inscription reads, Me writes this in the hope that mine fellows, fellows, will all one day find this book, then may, then may our lands be not so distant. Our lands be not so distant. We will finish. Now you have a lot of work to do. There is no need for you to write back as we will have gone. Thank you for your cooperation. 2109. There you have it. <clears throat> the Mr. Bunker Book Club summarized version of the vertical plane. <laughs> Now, the mystery ends with Thomas Harden's book. If it is out there, it would be proof to a degree that these events did happen. Right. How else would a man named Thomas Harden from the 16th century have information on a man named Ken Webster from the 1980s? And uh, here's a little bit about the book, the, the vertical plane itself. The book was written mostly from memory and a few communications Ken printed out and stored in his wallet for years. How big a fucking wallet did he have? What were these, like, eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper? He <laughs> well, they would have been A4, A5. Jesus Christ. This would have been, like, those printers with the, you know, the spools on the side. Oh, yeah. This, why did I forget what they call that? Jesus Christ. Put him in his wallet? What the fuck? Like, could have been a big wallet. What kind of a wallet was? I mean, he should just. A pocketbook style wallet. He should wallet. just get a purse at this point. I mean, good God. Eh, Ken's been downgraded from Chad back I to Virgin. Guess, yeah, no wonder he needed a chain. This thing probably weighed like 50 pounds. He needed that just to disperse the weight a little bit. I assume he was wearing Jinko jeans. He, <laughs> he had a big wallet chain. He was, he was. He needed like a bike lock for this wallet. Good <laughs> Lord. Uh, so anyway, uh, the vertical plane was first published in 1989, some four years after the events happened. Peter Trinder uses the postscript of the book to explain how he believes that this could not have been a hoax and that the research he had to do to understand Lucas slash Thomas's messages could not have been written the other way around. 
they would have had to come from an educated person of that exact time period and everything was factually sound. Kind of supports this by saying that, uh, you know, he had to go look these words up to understand them. So we don't somebody... have a ton of writing from that time period. Right. So for somebody to write these messages so accurately, so perfectly, that it lines up with the things we do have from that time period, it's like they had to come from that time period. Right. That's, that's Trinder's view. So, and Peter even went on camera in the 1996 episode of Out of This World to state that it wasn't a hoax. This was real. Uh, and if it was a hoax, which it wasn't, whoever did pull off this hoax would have had to do an insane amount of research to pull it off as accurately as it was pulled off. So remember, this was before the internet. So every time Ken and Debbie got a message, Peter would have to travel to London and research the words in a library. It took a long time and a lot of work. No doubt the eggheads had their hands full with this one, Andy. Ken and Debbie were also interviewed for that program out of this world in 1996, which, by the way, was it was kind of like a UK Ripley's Believe It or Not, but for like paranormal stuff. I think we only did like five or six episodes, but um, Ken and Debbie declined to show their faces on camera. But but they do. Ken does show his bald spot because the camera's from behind them and we get to see Debbie's large blonde do. That's right. We can see their hair. They're, yeah, their backs are to the camera. They never show their faces. Right. Um, skeptics could say that this is because they know it's a fucking hoax and they don't want their peers and friends knowing it's them. Uh, speaking of skeptics, what do they have to say about all this? Yeah. Huh? Uh, well, while Peter is quite convinced of the linguistic merit of Thomas's messages, other scholars, not so much. Some linguistic scholars have looked over the correspondence from Lucas and Thomas and have noticed that the verb structure is totally whack, my dude. While individuals do make up individual words, we don't really tend to make up verbiage and how verbs interact in a sentence. I don't know. Linguistic eggheads, you get what I'm saying. We might make up words, but we'll like... make up a noun. Right. Or a, like a... Or even a verb, but like the... A gerund is always going to act like a gerund, right? You're not going to change up sentence structure yeah, just on the fly. Right. Um, anyway, Thomas slash uh, Lucas throughout the messages mixes and messes up with verb structures like I doth or he, she, it, dost, which would not have been accurate and is not right. John, the guitar player who may or may not have wanted to bone Debbie and who Ken was worried about boning Debbie, right. uh, posted on the forum Unexplained Mysteries in 2007, I actually lived in the house with Ken Webster a few years prior to the occurrences. He wrote about in the book. Such a good accent. I, <laughs> in the book. In the book. I, in the book, I have to say that I never experienced any of the phenomenon that Ken did. And I would have to say that the cottage never had any bad or odd vibes. In fact, it was one of the most peaceful places you could imagine. No word on if he and Debbie ever shagged, though. Someone should have asked that. Uh, skeptics also point out the numerous amounts of times that Debbie was left alone with the computer when suddenly a message was received, and that it really was likely just her and Ken playing fanfic together with their friends. Finally, it's just a book. There's no evidence. Yeah. <laughs> no floppy copies of the messages, no computer to relay the messages, nothing, just a book. 
So why should skeptics believe it's any more real than Harry Potter or Artemis Fowl or The Giver or other books I definitely have read and can reference at a moment's notice? Moving on. <laughs> oh, and Guardian Leviosa. So moving on. Yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, I've read it and I understand that reference. So let's just move on. But hey, we don't need to discuss all the references I know. We don't need to discuss them. Because I know a lot of them. What say you, Bunk Funkers? What would you give the vertical plane on Bunk Reads? Perhaps you ought to check your personal computing device for a mysterious file. One with the name. Consume. Open it. Don't be scared. Doth tis but correspondence from your good friends, Sir Andrew and Sir Arthur. Openeth mine message, and ye find ye whole enchilada! Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me, or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app. Hey, welcome back, Bunk Funkers. That was our research of the vertical plane. Ye old vertical plane. Ye olden vertical plane. <laughs> Thomas. 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 Um. Wow. Wow. Indeed. Good Lord in fucking heaven. That was a long book. <laughs> I got 350 page book, book yeah. bookers. This is and we basically read the whole fucking thing. So I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> we basically summarized the whole damn thing. All the stuff worth noting. I mean, there is so much filler in this book where Ken talks about stuff that they do and they got this dog and they're worried about this and his fucking Jaguar. He took it out for a drive and, Blah, 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 and this, 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 and it's like, let's get to the main points here, right? Yeah. That's what we gave you. We gave you the whole enchilada. Trust I, me. I got to say, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun idea. Yeah. I like the idea a lot, actually. You do. Of just having a computer, mysterious messages start showing up, 
and you realize that you're like part of some sort of vertical time situation yeah, where you're occupying the same space and somebody from the future has given a computer, I guess. I mean, it's like a glowing light. He does not have a physical computer, right? It's a glowing light that he talks to. Right. And then it relays a glowing light that only he can see. Right. Um, I mean, I guess they would have to do that because there's no electricity at that point. So yeah. Like he could plug in a computer. So, um, <laughs> that you're simultaneously communicating with like people from the future and people from the past. Yeah. Um, like it's a pretty neat idea. It's very fun. And it's set up pretty well. You think so? I think so. Like, I think that you just say like, oh, well, we run a computer for this really innocuous purpose. And then all of a sudden we get this weird poem on there and nobody knows who wrote it. And we're like, hmm, that's weird. It but does we kind feel of like a it. kind of uh, 80s B horror movie that people reference way too fucking much, like Gremlins. <laughs> you know, yeah. like a schlocky fucking 80s horror movie that people are like, remember Gremlins? Like, I've never seen it. Wow. You never Sorry. saw Gremlins. Never seen fucking Gremlins. Well, let me show you my gizmo. Let me show you my gizmo. Don't feed it after midnight. Oh. Um. It'll turn back into a pumpkin. It does feel like that, but to me, it also feels like a really long episode of Aqua Teen Hunger Force. <laughs> oh, that's actually a really good... That's what it feels like to me. That's a really good... Yeah, I agree with that Do a lot. Do you agree with that? Yeah, this definitely feels like an Aqua... You just need Carl showing up and it's, like... It's because of this... There's this whole 2109. thing like Fucking with the, pl- the timelines and stuff. Yeah, like... Like, the <laughs> only thing in Aqua Teen, it would end with like... 2109, like, coming in and like shooting lasers at everything and it would be destroyed. Yeah. And twenty one and I and somehow Master more... Shake would probably get stranded in the past. <laughs> Meatwad would definitely befriend, befriend Lucas and yeah. and Frylock would be like, yeah, this Meatwad. is fucking, this is great. We have to communicate with these people. From Meatwad the become would become like Lucas's new horse. <laughs> I see my best friend. I want to be friends with him. He's my best friend. His name is Lucas Raymond. Meatwad, that's not even his real name. I looked him up. His name is Thomas Harden. Of Brace Nose Cod. No, his name is Lucas Roman. And he likes cheese. Just like me. Like, that's the whole thing. It writes itself. <laughs> yeah. And if I could do a uh, Dana, uh, I forget his last name. The guy voices Master Shake. I yeah. wish I could do his voice, but yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Can't do it either. Amazing fucking voice. Um, Great voice actors on the Aqua Teen Hunger Force. All the way around. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's more that could have been done with this story. I think that the story, and I've heard this from other people and other people online, that the idea of the story and the Cliff Notes version of the story is more entertaining than the story itself. Speaking as somebody who basically read almost all 350 pages, I skimmed a lot, but like I read most of it. There is a lot of really fucking boring filter in between when these messages are being received. Right. So... I mean, seriously, there's just a lot of like, oh, like back and fucking forth and talking about their day. Yeah. If you boil it down, like Bunkfunkers in the research. Yeah. Like you can watch a YouTube video on this. Right. That like boils it down. Right. And that's, that's like, that's, that's the meat of it, you know, like the meat of the story. And that's like very, you listen to that and I'm telling you like this one, this one hooks me a little. You really like this one. I don't know what it is about it. It's a great idea. I just think there's somebody who had to read the whole fucking book. Right, right. The book fucking kills the magic. Right. And I and I hear that, but you know, it's like especially when you get to like the Gary Rowe stuff and the 21 and I it's like, what? 
there's fuck? A, there's a lot of stuff that kind of doesn't make sense. And there's, it's so little makes sense because Ken is not a writer. Yeah. And the, he's supposedly writing this from memory. Right. And so there's a lot of like, like, like stuff and it goes like back and forth and like, you might be listening to this episode and then go read the book and be like, well, oh, Andy Nork got it out of order. But it's like, it's almost better to like arrange it in a way that makes more sense. There's a lot of like back and forth and this and that. Right. And like, you know, it's just, and they're not writers. So it's like, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I feel this way a lot. Like, you know, you, you read a story about something online and somebody puts it in this order. That's not chronological. Yeah. But like it's they'll like set it up like, oh, here's the conclusion. But don't you want to see how this happened? And like a then memento. They, then they have to like unwind fiction. it in a weird way. Yeah. And I'm just like, I then I get confused because I'm like, well, I don't understand what happened before what now. Yeah. So this though, I don't know what it is about this idea. It's a great fucking idea. The you know, the whole It's back to the future. Same fucking thing. What I mean, like it's it's the little things though for me. It's like, you know, I guess it's the pretty, cheese. It's the cheese. It's the. It's pretty easy, probably, to like discount a lot of this. Being worried that someone is fucking your girlfriend. Right. Yeah, we've all been there. Worried <laughs> Being that, worried that a Chad fucking cool prankster guitar player friend of yours is fucking your girlfriend. We've all been there. Right. We've all been there. <laughs> and that, in order to impress her, he's pretending that your house is haunted by ghosts <laughs> to make you look like an idiot who believes in ghosts. It breaks in at night and rearranges your furniture and stuff in your kitchen to make you look like an idiot. And then he also leaves weird word documents on your <laughs> rented computer that are supposedly from the past and the future. That would definitely make you look like the freak and him like the cool. Oh my Chad. god! Can you imagine if this was a prank by this uh, by John? The uh, greatest prankster of all time. Oh my God. I'd give this guy a medal. Yeah. This is awesome. Pranking.com. But number what, one. Here's one thing that gets me though. The SPR stuff. The Society of Psychical Research. Yeah. What is it? Like, I can't figure out. Because like, to me, this is pretty compelling, right? Right. Because it's like, oh, they did this stuff away from, from Ken and Deb and Peter. So they had no knowledge. Yet a Word document appears. Yeah. That answers their questions. But I can't figure out, like, is this a real thing or not? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, did the Society for Psychical Research actually do this? They might have. Or is this just like There's a There's no official record. Right. They're like, oh, they didn't leave a report. It's like, is this all just fabricated? Did, did John Bucknall even exist? I don't, there's, it's, you can't find a record of him. You can't, you can't, I mean, he left the society. Right. And I guess the idea, yeah, is just that, earth. like, because- Again, we skipped over it a lot. It's like, again, but the SPR is like asking them about the future and like stuff and math equations and quantum physics and all these questions. And 2109 is giving all these weird answers right? where they won't talk about stuff, but they will and they won't back and forth. And so uh, I think either SPR just feels like it's a fucking hoax or something is happening where 2109 has interfered with them to cause them to drop it. Yeah. Because I kind of feel like, you know, even if even if they asked about really specific stuff, yeah, and twenty one oh nine is responding like about that stuff without actually addressing it directly, that's still like evidence of something, right? A little bit because it's like I don't know. I'm just not very convinced. Like, I mean, I get it that there are like phone freakers who you know oh, like these cool ass fucking phone freakers. I know. Not a, not a real thing that uh, these fucking phone freakers, man. But you know, like freaking my phone. My phone's been freaked, dude. I don't know. I read Gnarly, bro. 
I read about this guy who was a phone freaker who was like um, blind, I think. And he could like, he could hear the dial. Like each, each phone key makes a distinctive like tone. Yeah. When you press it, he could, he figured out what those sounds are. And so he could listen to you dialing a phone and figure out what numbers you dialed. Um, and so he used that to like hack into like phone companies and stuff back when you could just like do that with a phone pretend to, that you work there. Um, so like, I know that kind of stuff exists, but keys on a keyboard aren't the same. That'd be a story for the Patreon. The what? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I forgot. We have obligations now. That's right. <laughs> but you're right. It, it, it feels a little bit like that. Yeah. Uh, I like, but, uh, but, but a keyboard, a keyboard doesn't, each key on the keyboard doesn't have a distinctive tone. Like the keyboard on a computer is not designed so that right. each time you press a key, the physical sound of the key is distinct and corresponds directly to that key. Don't let people who are into mechanical keyboards hear you say that. Yeah. And you I got my cherry MX blues here and you can fucking hear the Yeah. And that may be, but I'm saying like, I'm sure this rented BBC Micro no, One no. wasn't so that Ken and Debbie and Peter no, no. had figured out what each key sounds like and they could have hit a microphone. The explanation that the SPR gives is so fucking weird. Yeah. That it's like, they said it's either that or there's something like these earth waves or they did something or yeah. they they fucked it up or like and all this stuff. And like, it's just, it's very bizarre. That's yeah. That's the whole thing I think to take away from that is yeah. just that like something happened that scared the SPR off. But like nothing else really is evidence except for that to me. Of what? Of that there could be that maybe they're not actually involved in it. And it's, that's the one part where I'm like, I don't understand it. Yeah. Like I can understand everything else because like, yeah, it sort of almost feels like this is like a game they're playing or like one of them is playing with the others and they're not in on it. Like maybe Debbie's doing this as a, you know, as a laugh and she's having a a spot of fun with these people in her life. And like, right. It just kind of grows and grows. And she's like, cause she's fucking 19. She's 19. She's got she's fucking nothing else going on. Barely she's legal. So fucking carefree. Having fun. Meanwhile, all of us other fucking old fuddy duddies have to fucking work. And we just want to drive our Jaguar coops. And we want to worry and maybe make an album one day and have our guy we're making the album with not fuck our girlfriend. But no, go ahead, Debbie. Play fanfic. Yeah. Play role play. Role play as a man from the past, Debbie. Um, um, so that's, I mean, the, the SPR stuff is just like the only thing that kind of like makes me go like, well, I guess then I really don't know what's happening here. But then I'm kind of like, also, is it even real? You the know, the fact like, that you are even questioning is fucking I know, shocking. I know. To me. I can tell it's you're like stunned by this. I don't get it. Like, I feel like you just like, it's a fucking book. And it's like, I'm, 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 I don't even know how to respond because you're, you're questioning whether it's actually real or not. I'm like, well, Andy, that assumes that it's real. I think maybe of like anything, this is like one thing where I'm like, I really, really, really want this to be real. You really like this topic quite a lot. I don't know why I do either. You're fucking into this. I just really want it to be true. Do you play like a lot of DOS games as a child? Like what the fuck's wrong with you? I mean, I did, but I'd like... You know, you I have had, an internet pen pal. I had the aim chat. I had the old, you know, uh, disc of uh, Candyland. Uh, pop that into the old Tandy. 
play some Candyland on the computer. <laughs> Dandy Andy. Dandy Andy playing Candylandy. Um, I don't know. It just is like, oh, it's like cool if we could communicate with people in the past and the future. It would fuck shit up, dude. Yeah, it probably would destroy the universe. It would but... destroy time in the universe. Um, what if you communicated with people from the past and they, they were like total dicks and they were trolls? And they're like, oh, yes, ooh. Like, I don't know. They're just like trolling your ass. And you're like, oh, shit, whoa, it's so cool. We're talking, whoa, people from the ass. And, and then he's like laughing, making fun of you. I would be like, hey, I can find out where you're buried and go take a shit there. You better shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'll find your descendants and I'll take your shit on them too. There's literally nothing I won't shit on, okay? Like, well, I'm going to fuck your ancestors in the arse I have before very, you even existed. I have a very particular set of skills. Well, guess what? To figure out my lineage, you're going to have to have information that doesn't exist yet, so fuck you. I'm about to go take a shit on everything you love. <laughs> See, you're just getting into You're feeding the internet trolls. You're feeding the timeline trolls. <laughs> the timeline trolls, yeah. Well... I mean, I got to do something, right? I don't know. I, I I liked this more than I probably should. And I have to say that. I think if you had had to read the whole book like I did, you wouldn't like it as much. No. I like the idea, but good God, reading that fucking book. Yeah, I like the Cliff Notes version of it. Yeah, the Cliff Notes is fun. The actual fucking book is so boring. Like the paranormal stuff, you know, the stacking of furniture and things, like, that doesn't really... That You're doesn't not really, into that. Doesn't really get me off. Wow. Because, you know, I'm already, like... Very anti-ghost, very anti You have an anti-ghost agenda. I have an anti-ghost agenda. I'm waging a war on ghosts. Um, don't say Merry Ghostmas to me because I don't fucking want to hear it. <laughs> You've been pleading with Starbucks to take those ghosts off their fucking cups. I'm sick of seeing ghosts on the cups. They're not real. Just put pictures and, of coffee on there. And Starbucks is like, there's never been ghosts on these cups. I, Sir, please stop talking to you us. You have to put a shirt on in here. Please leave. Stop sweating over the counter. You're getting sweat into the milk. Why do you have to rub up against the glass case? There's no, you can talk to us. You're shouting so loud. You don't have to be this close to us. All right, but can I have a cake pop? <laughs> a cake pop and uh, some egg bites. Oh, you love those egg bites. Oh, man. Delicious. Love those egg bites. Egg bites. Egg bites. Sous vide my egg bites, please. <laughs> eh, fuck sous vide. Hey, um, can I sit around in the sous vide for a little bit? <laughs> Like a hot tub. Oh, yeah. By the way, you got to take those ghosts off those cups. But, yeah, I can't keep bringing it up enough. There's too many ghosts. You protested outside of every single Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, every like even in the 80s, yeah. I was out. As a child, I hated the ghosts then. Um, I was trying to roast that Marshmallow Man in the it's theater. By, I set a lot of theaters on fire. Sure, you did. You had, yeah. a, you had a fucked up past. I ain't afraid of no ghosts because they don't exist. I think the main lesson here... Andy, is to be careful who you're talking to online. Parents, do you know who your child is talking to, chatting with online? Wow. That's a great point. Do you know who your children is chatting with online? I don't. I know it's an older man. Could be an older man from the 16th century. A really much older man. My my child is chatting with an older man online. Hey, Dad. Dad. What's a horse cart? What's uh, a leams boist? What the fuck are you talking about? I'm talking to this guy from the 16th century. Oh, my God. He's a child predator. 
He's a time traveling child predator. Now that's He's gonna fuck your kids. That's the Chris Hansen time. content we need. That is the Chris Hansen <laughs> content. Where Chris Hansen gets a time traveler. That's the show we need to make. He he catches a time traveler. Chris Hansen fucking up and fighting time traveling pedophiles. Traveling through time trying to chat with little boys online. <laughs> and Chris Hansen is fucking them up with his saber of truth. He's got a saber now. Yeah. It's like it's, a it's like a lightsaber, but it's not the same. It's more like it looks like a cutlass, but yeah. it's glowing. Right. It's a saber of truth. And he does he kills pedophiles with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pedoph- pedophile murdering device. <laughs> Look, law enforcement and the courts have all banded together on all across Earth to just agree that yeah. Chris Hansen's allowed to extrajudicially kill sure. anybody trying to have sex with a child. He's the only person on earth ever been granted this authority, but he has complete immunity in all jurisdictions on earth. He can murder any pedophile. <laughs> I do want to see Chris Hansen time traveling pedophile killer. Pedophile murderer. If it, Chris Hansen would probably be so much less successful if his whole shtick was literally just murdering the pedophiles <laughs> when they arrive. Like people would be like, oh shit. So I think he should do it. Yeah. I think they should let him do it. Yeah. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, fuck. They dropped their like 12 pack of beer that they brought. And like, and Chris Hansen's like, box of candy. Not so fast. And then he just <laughs> drives the cutlet and in, cutlass into their back. I have a seat right here. If it could, cuts their balls off. Why don't you have a seat? Oh, you can't. I sliced off your ass. <laughs> That's the show we need to make. Um, you know, Andy, I think before we get to verdicts, we have to talk about our days. Chatting with hot babes online all day. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. AIM was a big part of my childhood. AIM and online chatting. Yeah. Big part. Um, AOL Instant Messenger was obviously a Huge big... in high school even for me. Yeah. All my friend group used to get online after school and we would AIM chat and we would play games online in chat rooms. Um, when I was a little kid, I used to like to be weird in chat rooms and like say, like type penis I was like the fucking like little shitter, like when I was eleven or twelve. Be like, oh, I type penis, or like find a way to say curse words without actually saying them to get past the censorship. On um, it was like Yahoo Games. Yeah, I would like go into the different chat rooms, and just then I would play games sometimes too. Yeah, Yahoo chat rooms was a big one. You were in those Yahoo chat rooms? Yeah. Um. I was in those Yahoo chat rooms. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I was there. I was that older guy. That yeah, you were trying to, to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> you were, you were, you were, you were. I was the one who would you always. You were horny red caboose. Yeah. I was, always the one, I was always the one that would ask what's up and you were like, not much you. And I was like, just horny. <laughs> Other than that, I was like grifting people or have, or being grifted okay. on RuneScape. Oh yeah. Trying to scam okay. people. That doesn't really count though. That's like a. MMO. Um, God, there were probably so many like older men pretending to be girls on those games. Isn't it funny now when you think back? On, oh, like, my God. Like it, you would just have to be like, yeah, I'm a girl. And they'd be like, OK. And then you'd be like, cool. You're my G. I'm your GF. Now give me stuff. And you'd like give them stuff. Yeah. Is that what you did? Oh, yeah. I just had a whole harem of older men. Yeah. <laughs> Want to trade picks? <laughs> Um, no, it was like, it was so like, God, like if, I don't know, as if you were a parent thinking about the stuff that children would get into in those early days of instant messenger, you know, uh, what would you do? 
AOL was a big one for me. Yeah. AIM. Uh, but it was mostly like, I think it was early on in my youth. And then like it, it, it like boomeranged back around for me in like college. Okay. Um, but uh, in between there, what was popular where I'm from was MSN Messenger. Yeah. Which, you know, was like the precursor to today's like Skype or Link on Windows. What was MSN? Uh, this is Microsoft's like. Messenger it was just Microsoft? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But that was like a big one for, for me in high school. That was like probably the, the top one. Okay. You ever go into any chat rooms? You ever do any IRC chats? Anything like that? IRC? Yeah. Oh. I never did IRC chats either. No. Those are still very popular today. Yeah. I never did that. Um, I did meet a friend online. I had online friends. I made friends through MySpace. Um, I really only had one. Um, it was, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how we met even, but um, I was, we used to chat on MSN Messenger a lot what would you say you'd be like dude my life fucking sucks cut my life into pieces this is my last resort you know what's funny is that we talked a lot about golf we both played golf oh god <laughs> that's so lame we were both teenagers <laughs> um she was from oklahoma was she yeah oh okay um now it's getting spicy and we just had a very cordial like it was very friendship. platonic yeah you never set your away message to anything like passive aggressive that would would slightly convey that you're like you like her. Like it would be some song lyric that's like she doesn't even notice me the way she makes me smile, <laughs> no, like I something like that. You never did that. No, I never did that. Oh my god! I don't know that you could do that with MSN. Ah, uh, that was more of an AOL. Oh thing. my god, was that the thing? Yeah, away messages on AIM was the thing. Set your away message to something fucking passive aggressive. Yeah, God, it was the thing. Uh, I tried to do like, what if Lucas did that? I tried to do bits a lot. Yeah. On the Leams voice. Yeah. Computer, mine, mine goodly computer. Mine goodly Leams voice. Set mine away message. Lincoln Parks, numb. I've become so numb. I, I'm, I am becoming so numbed. I can't see you there. I've so numb have I become. <laughs> so numb have I become. <laughs> so numb have I become you doth not thou visible to me thou art not thou thou art not visible thou art not corporeal in thine form to be more like myself <laughs> And not as like to thee. <laughs> and Ken's just like, what the fuck? This guy's fucking moody. Lincoln Park? You didn't even spell it right. Fuck. <laughs> that how they used to spell the word Lincoln? L-I-N-K-I-N? Weird. <laughs> it's me, Ken. It's me, Ken. Hey, <laughs> he spelled Lincoln wrong. Debbie, oh, he spelled it wrong. Everybody, look at this. Debbie, come in here and come look at this. Debbie, come look at this shit. This shit. Oh, hi, John. What were you doing in the room? Hi, John. Why don't you have any clothes on? What are you fucking weirdo? You recording music over there? Jeez, put some pants on. Oh my God, what a huge ding dong. 
And it's so creamy. Ew. <laughs> okay. Wash yourself, John. <laughs> what were you saying about AOL? You were your MSN. You were talking to this chick from Oklahoma. Yeah. That's it. You guys weren't trying to bang. <laughs> no. We should keep in touch. Go reach out to her. See what's up. I think that um, if you're out there, you're listening to the show, and you remember a weird little man that you <laughs> used to do bits with about golf on MSN Messenger. Now, how did you guys meet? I don't remember, honestly. Really? I don't remember how that happened. It might have been through chat room or something. Um, but uh, I think that uh, we ended up, like, and this is funny because we, like, we chatted, like, off and on for a while. And I think that we ended up being Facebook friends even. Wow. Um, let me ver verify that. Um, while Andy's verifying that, I mean... Um... Punk Funkers, let us know. Did you ever make any pen pals? We did. Oh my God, you did. Yeah. The mystery is solved. We know who this person is. Because Facebook like existed initially my like early in college. That's right. Like my first first year of college. Facebook, uh, yeah, Facebook. Uh, I mean, I haven't talked to her for a long time, but. Well, there you go. Lasting friendship. Look at that. You make a friend. If you make friends with Andy, you're stuck with him. Unfortunately, you can't get rid of me. Many people have tried, but I just won't go away. Bungfuckers, let us know. I mean, what uh, have you ever made any online friends? What was your experience with online chat rooms? Do you ever go to AIM? you ever do any pranking on these online chat rooms? Do any yeah. weird pesky business? Yeah. ASLs? Oh, God, those were a huge thing. Oh, yeah. And ASL. you would just make up ASLs. Oh, yeah. You just, you'd be like, uh, 24F Cali. Yeah. Everybody was from California or Florida. Everybody was from California or Florida. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of true. There's a lot of people there, but... I do want to give a shout out. There's a show on Hulu. This show doesn't need a shout out from us, but I've watched it. It's called Pen 15. You would love this fucking show. I know you and your wife would love it. Uh, maybe. Because I love it. <laughs> I know you would. Maybe. Well, I'm trying to think if it if it would reference what it was like for you. It would have been a little bit. It's 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 set. Uh, the two the two main characters who wrote it. Um, um, I forget their Maya Erskine and then Amanda or Anna. Um, I forget her last name, but they're like comedians and they've been writers and they've been in a few things. And then they uh, they wrote this show and it's on Hulu. It's called Pen Fifteen. Um, and it's about like them. They're like in their thirties and they're pretending to be seventh graders. And all the other actors in the show are all like actual like fourteen year olds. And so it's very weird. But once you get over that. The fact that these 30-year-olds are dressing like 14-year-old girls, acting like them, like everything, dude. It's like, and it's like, I have never seen a show that is more accurately represented what it was like to be 14 at that time. It is, they nailed it. It is out of the park perfect. So the show is set around the early 2000s. I would say 2002, 2003. So what, how old were you during that time? I would have been in 2003. Yeah. I would have turned 64. <laughs> um, I would have been, I guess, on wife number eight by then. But it was actually wife number two for the third time. Um, okay. This would have been past your time. Yeah. 2003. This I would, would have been well past your time. 2000, 2003. I would have been like you a wouldn't junior get, or a senior in high school. Right. You, the, the, depending you, on when. You would get the references. Yeah. But they wouldn't. I don't think they would feel as like. Um, 
as like sentimental to you because it's like oh, I get it pen 15 it's like penis the pen club the pen 15 club anyone ever get you with that that joke no they go hey do you want to join the pen club and you'd be like well what's the pen club and you'd be like it's this cool club where we like a friend got me with it once he said like oh we like have cool pens or something and I was like okay and he's like well I'm I'm pen number 14 I'm the I'm pen 14 so you'll be the 15th member you'll be pen 15 and then they write pen 15 on your hand or on your arm or somewhere on you and it looks like penis and then they they've now written penis on you and so you have now been fucking roasted publicly right, right. and the only thing left for you to do is to either cower in fear and cry about it or stand up for yourself and um, strike this person down much like in prison yeah it's funny because kids would get upset about that but now if somebody wrote pen 15 on my hand people would be like what's that I'd be like oh I love penis <laughs> See, you do a good job. You own it. Yeah. It's like, oh, That's yeah. You got to do. Yeah, I'm super into penis. <laughs> but but I have weird handwriting, so it looks like pen 15, but it actually is supposed to be penis. I just super into penis. Well, if you write them Big at time all- into penis. <laughs> Big dongs, little dongs, dongs that climb on rocks. <laughs> hot dongs. I love hot dongs. Anyway, uh, Pen15, uh, Bugfuckers, check it out as well if you want to. It's on to Hulu. See, it's on Hulu. Well, check it out. We always are glad to help out a you know fellow comedians who are just trying to get something off the ground. So, you know, Maya and Anna, this is our shout out to you. Good luck on your Pen15 project. <laughs> Wait, were you being passive aggressive? <laughs> no. That's not passive. I'm not 2109 here. Yeah, you're sounding a little bit like 2109. 8675-2109. Andy, is there any other points you want to bring up about the vertical plane story before we get to verdicts here? um... Um, Do you think that Debbie actually did fuck anybody other than Ken? Well, I'm going to get to it in my verdict. I can't talk about it up front without spoiling my verdict. Okay, because by 1996, they obviously appeared on camera together. Yeah, they're still together. Yeah, so I kind of... I guess. I kind of feel like they probably... Did they say, did they flat out say that they were boyfriend-girlfriend still? Uh, I don't know about that, but they appeared on camera together. So I would say if their breakup was acrimonious, like at some point in the 80s or earlier in the 90s, that probably they wouldn't want to be on camera together. Like, yeah, you know, if if after all of this, like Debbie broke up with him and it was just a big prank by her to cover up some infidelity or something... Um, I doubt that she would be like, oh yeah, I'm going to like, why keep it up at that point? You might as well be like, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. Uh, you know, fucking heartless is you, uh, and vindictive. Uh, even if you go through bad times with somebody, maybe they could have apologized and made up and Mm -hmm. still had a very functional MSN worthy, uh, you and your golf friend, um, relationship. Yeah. That all sounds very weak to me. I mean. You know, I feel like when somebody does you wrong, it's your job to like despise them until the end of existence. <laughs> to ruin their fucking life and shit on their grave. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You want to have to outlive them. Everyone that does you wrong, grave. you outlive them and shit on their grave. Right. Well, I'm ready to get to verdicts. I don't know about you. Yeah, I guess we can. Um, you know, bunk funkers. We were given this like weird scale by Mr. Bunker. It, were we? In order to. Were we? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I'm not so sure about that, but uh, sure. You know what? Actually, yes, we were given a weird scale by Mr. Bunker. Well, I'm using a scale regardless. 
<laughs> now, what's on the scale is a bunch of different steak temperatures. <laughs> um, we are going to rate this topic on a scale of plausibility. How plausible do we think that this thing is actually true versus how plausible do we think that it's not true? Case confirmed, it is true. Case closed, not true. If it's plausible, somewhere in the middle, it's plausible. And then there's a bunch of points in between. Mr. Booker has assured us that this is a time-tested scale, that this has been used throughout time, almost like Mr. Thomas Harden himself throughout yeah, time. This is a b- 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 scientific method. Right. This is tested, true. This is used by academic institutions, scholars the world over. Right. And if if we declare it case confirmed, then... I think we could just say that at this point, that's a universal truth, right? Yeah, very true. Um, would you like to go first? Andy? Yeah. So let me tell you how far in the red I am on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking love this story so goddamn much. Oh, I love it so much, but like, I just keep. I keep, there's not. You were so convinced, fucking twenty minutes ago. I, like, I want to believe it so bad. Now I want, you you put up an away message. You're all being all passive aggressive to me. I want to believe so bad that there is some sort of linkage, um, and that some weird become. thing we could figure out to communicate, like across all spans of time. Yeah, I think that I'm just very like interested in the idea of time travel and like communication with other points in time. Do you ever just think about how cool would it be if just as a fly on the wall without interacting with anything, without, without like interjecting anything from the future into the past, you could just view things that happened as they happened and not rely. That would rely, be fucking dope. Yeah. Like not rely on accounts But that of would things. change <clears throat> history. That would change the future, Andy. It would be oh crazy. Oh my God. Everything would change. It would probably rip our world apart. Where would we go first? I don't know. Where would you go first if you were the scientist who could oh discover? Oh my god, it's such a good question. Discover what? What are we calling this? Uh, like astral viewing? I guess. Yeah, this is what it would be like. This would be almost like you've tapped into the Akashic record. Yeah, and you could see all of the past, present, and future all at once. You have infinite knowledge. I think two things would be the first. Like if if society was like, hey, we figured out how to do time travel to the past, but we can only view, we can't interact. Right. I think two things they would either want to go to the start of the universe. What's what caused the start of the universe or Jesus? Oh, yeah. That would be it. You know what I would do? That would either prove religion. I mean, this is like fucking blue beam. This is everything, man. Right. This is craziness. You know what I would do? I would go back. I want to go back before the universe like expanded. (laughs) Okay. Like not even at the start. Like I want to, like I'm, I'm super interested in like, okay, the in the universe is like compressed to this point, this infinitely dense like pinprick of like extensively dense matter, right? Right. But where does it exist? I mean, maybe you can't see that because that's outside the bounds of like what could even exist. True. But it's like I'm so interested at like how bounds outside the bounds of like, time. Like what's outside the universe? Like what's beyond it? It's a lot to take in. It's a lot because like you're going what? really fucking hard on the first time travel. Maybe <laughs> we should go to like something like I would go back like, to when let's I go was back bo- ten minutes into the past. I would go back to when I was born because I was born by cesarean section. I want to see them cut open my mom's belly. 
<laughs> and your fucking red puffy ass little baby face crying. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, let's so see. loud. Let's see. Loudest baby. As my dad used to say, they had to do cesarean section because I was coming out backwards, even though the doctors at first couldn't tell the difference. That's what he used to say. Oh, God. Because you get it? Because my face looks like an ass. face looks like an ass. (laughs) You have an ass for a face. So instead, they had to perform surgery on my mom. Coming up backwards, you can't even be birthright. No, no, and I was a month and a half early. I was pretty premature. God damn, you can't. I just spent a few right. days in the NICU. Jesus. Well, we've already. I mean, I've brought this up before, but I uh, they had to cook me because I was jaundice. I was very yellow. Yeah. They put me in the baby oven. The baby oven. Cook me the baby. The easy bake baby oven. The easy baby bake. Easy baby bake oven. Rubber baby bumpy bumpers. Um, Rubber baby buggy bumpers. I would, yeah, I would go, probably go back to the start of the universe. It would be pretty chill. I'd go to the biblical times. Um, pre, there's so much of history, like ancient Sumerians, who existed before them, checking out the ancient Egyptians. You, um, If you had access to this, you would spend, this would probably consume your life. Oh, yeah. Like, would, just, just this, like. This would be. Because you think, like, everybody, like, all people in our time, if we just got access to this like tomorrow, all people in our time almost would be like, we're going to the past. We're well, going to go see what happened. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that this would be a fucking commercial device. Like, think, think this would be a commercial device. Think about how many arguments you could settle because someone was like, you said this and you'd be like, I fucking didn't. Let's go back and watch it. <laughs> and then you're like, see? Fuck, I was wrong! <laughs> God damn it! Now we're getting into Black Mirror territory because Black Mirror already did this. Oh, uh, well, I haven't watched Black Mirror, so fuck right. me, I guess. Yeah, fuck you. Um, but I mean, just the uh, thought of being like having a link to the past, like Zelda, the a link to the, the past. past. Yeah, I mean, oh well. <laughs> Whoops. Maybe I have watched it. <laughs> anyway, wink. Um, wink, wink. It's been Bill Clinton, Lolita Express. Anyway, uh, the <laughs> the. Uh, um, just lines and trial. Just lane. Anyway, the uh, I'm hanging out at Jeff Epstein's island I'm number on two. Jeff Epstein's island. Nobody here but me. Woo! <laughs> Nobody here but me. Wink, wink, wink. Nobody but me. Wink, wink, wink. Oh God, is that Chris Hansen with a sword? No. <laughs> Nobody who can sign a contract legally. Anyway, wink, 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 wink. I'm gonna start chatting online with this lie box. <laughs> this Leems boys. Leems boys. I thought that was her name. Turns out it was just some box of light. I want some lean boys. I want some lean boys. Lean boys, the younger, the better. <laughs> what were we doing? Verdicts? Verdicts. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, I mean, I just want it to be true so bad, but you're, it's just, there's no evidence. Like It's just a book. It's just a book. It's like, just a book. I mean, I know that's... I there's know that's, photos in the book, but it's just a book. I know that's where you go. And obviously these photos, there's no... Nobody investigated this. No. So it's so super easy. We just have to take Ken and Debbie's word that they walked in and found this stuff like that and that they didn't pose it, that they didn't stack all the furniture in the corner of their house. And, you know, there's no there's no evidence. There's no nothing underpinning it. I just so want it to be true that there's something like I don't really care about all the poltergeist stuff, um, to be honest. Uh, it's just the time thing that I think is really interesting. And honestly, a great idea. I wish they would have like if it's just a story like. This feels like a very Charles Hall type of situation to me. 100%, 110%. Where it's like, oh, we wrote this book, um, but nobody gave a shit about it. 
And so, but it also feels like they did some stuff like contemporaneously with it. Like, I just don't know what to make of like guys like Peter Trender. Like, like what is Peter Trender doing? Like, I mean, I don't know. Is he a huckster? Like, or does he actually believe? Like, I, it's hard to tell. Like, he doesn't come off to me as like being disingenuous. Yeah. But it's also hard to say. So all that to say that I'm going to give this plausible anti-proton. Wow. Plausibility. Because there's just My like, God. there's like just enough to make me go like, I, I can't say yeah. with absolute 100% certainty that there's right. not any shred of evidence for this. Yeah. Like the SPR stuff, the involvement of multiple people like makes me go, maybe, but maybe people are just stupid. And maybe this is just a big prank. And that's a completely valid outcome of this. That's very valid, Andy. Or it's just and, a fictional uh, story. And none of it ever happened. That's also a perfectly valid. Valid? All valid? You're valid. I'm valid. Valid. You're valid. Um, Park me in the garage because I am valid. Uh, I am going to go case closed. This is a book. I could feel it. Uh, this is nothing more than a book. This is a hoax. This is a I ruse. I think that either Ken and Deb were having a goof, having a gig, shits and gigs. Um, they were doing this for fun, maybe mostly Debbie. Um, I think that they did this, and then a couple of years later, they thought, let's publish a fucking book about it. Let's see what happens. Um, maybe they thought, ooh, we could strike it rich. Nothing really comes of it. Uh, it, it's, it stays kind of underground. That, that 1996 thing happens. By that time... I mean, that's almost like talking almost a decade later, almost a decade later. They've moved on from it. They probably are well into the, I mean, Ken would have to be easily into his late mid forties, maybe even later. Yeah, Debbie is what he was. He was almost older. 30 when that happened. And this is like 10 years later. So yeah, he's almost 40. Yeah. So they're probably or no, 15 years later because it was, yeah. they didn't write the book until four years after. Right. So they didn't write yeah, it until 89. 96. So this, yeah, he would probably be like almost 40. 40-ish. Point. Debbie, she would have been 30-ish. They probably have careers. Uh, okay, got, we got it. Good episode. We, we figured it. out how old they were at the time they did that episode. Anyway, <laughs> anyway thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> Was that the point? No. Uh, they probably have careers now. They don't want to be associated with this anymore. I read some things online where people said that they have tracked down Ken mm -hmm. and tracked down Debbie and like tried to talk to Ken. And they were like, this is, we know that this is the real Ken, but he would play it off. Like, that's not me. This happens a lot. This happens every once in a while. People call me and try to like, you know, talk to me about this book. But there's I didn't so many other book. Ken Webbers. Here's a list of them. <laughs> it's not the most uncommon name. Uh, so I'll give them that. But I think they had moved on from it. Who knows? Maybe they got an appearance fee. Maybe they got some money for appearing on that show and talking about it. And they were like, you know what? faces we can deny it most people aren't going to know who we are our friends and family might but they already know that we wrote this fucking book <clears throat> this goofy crazy silly paranormal book their motivation for writing the book though like is a big question mark for me to be honest why not it's money but it didn't really i mean i guess maybe it's like they write it and then nobody buys it and he's so. the 80s you got back to the future yeah. you've got other, like I said, silly B stock little horror movies. These are like, yeah, they seem like not. I, I don't, I don't know them, but they seem like maybe they're a little bit nerdy. They're studious, yeah, educated people. I mean, he's a fucking teacher. Like, 
Um, but they also seem kind of like, especially in the story, Ken seems to like not really enjoy his job as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he maybe wants to make, become a musician. Right, he so. hates children. Comes up a lot in the book. How much, how much he hates children. Fucking hates kids. <laughs> so that's what I think. Um, I think that it's it's just a big old hoax. I don't think they're grifters, though. They're not grifts. So don't put them in the Charles Hall. I actually think Charles Hall believes his story, but I think that Charles Hall is grifting. Mm-hmm. Because he wrote like fucking 80 goddamn books. Right. And they are so fucking boring. <laughs> What's more boring? I think Millennial Charles Hospitality is, or well, <laughs> The Vertical Plane? I think there's more action and adventure, surprisingly, in Charles Hall's story and books. Well, if any person screams action and adventure, it's Charles Hall. <laughs> oh. Except I don't think These he knows aliens. how to scream. That's true. I'm not capable of screaming. I lost the ability to scream in 1971. When what happened was I was on a roller coaster. I was riding in the same seat as a colonel's wife, and she said, hold my hair because I'm going to vomit. And I said, no, thank you. I wouldn't touch an officer's wife. And she proceeded to puke all over herself. And the colonel was so grateful that I didn't touch his wife's hair that he gave me a promotion to general general of the Air Force, and I joined the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And became the most powerful man in the Air Force. I could literally tell you anything about a plane just by hearing it once. Also, I've got these drawings of planes as people. And I have masturbated to them. And I think you would enjoy it too. Boy, are my arms tired. I just got done jerking off to plane porn. The human plane porn. No, what was the joke? I just got done jerking off to Rule 34 pictures of, of aircraft. And boy, are my arms tired. That's right. I used both arms. <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? All right. Those were our verdicts of the vertical plane. Totally different kind of plane. The vertical plane. The vertical plane. <laughs> wow. Uh, let us know what you think. What are your verdicts? Use the hashtag. Uh, use the hashtag. Uh, is Debbie really going out with him? <laughs> and then you won't have any room to tweet anything else. It was Joe Jackson, by the way. 1978, though. That song was re- released. 78 that new wave sound came out of 78 october 1978 who wrote who wrote the 90s version that is the version that everybody knows joe jackson no the 90s version Hmm? the 90s version it's the same song it's not the same song is it not no someone else sang it in the 90s sugar ray is it sugar ray you were right sugar ray joe jackson wrote the song yeah it's been covered by other people right the cover who covered it Sugar Ray. Uh, you told me it wasn't Sugar Ray. It was Sugar Ray. It was Sugar Ray. Yeah. Goldfinger. Yeah. Lots of people have covered that song. Kid Courageous. Is she really? The Joe Jackson version, Joe Johnson version, and the Sugar Ray version sound crazy similar. I don't remember hearing the Sugar Ray version, but maybe You're, I did. You maybe were I did. Fucking chatting online with babes. Maybe I did, and maybe I don't realize it because it sounds so much like the Joe Jackson version. Probably. Well, anyway, use the hashtag. Is Debbie really going out with him? Let us know what you think about the vertical plane. 
Um, you can email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. YouTube, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash mrbunkerpod. New videos coming soon. We're working on it. And um, we really want to hit the ground running with this. We do. With this podcast. First episode, we're already working on video projects. We're already working on videos. New ones. I guess Mr. Bucker was working on a YouTube channel, and there's some older videos up there. I don't know. I didn't bother watching them or subscribing. No. You should. You should, yeah. We'll watch them eventually. And then, of course, if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so. You can join this thing called Patreon. Patreon.com forward We've slash also never heard of Patreon. Mr. Bucker Pod. There's a Patreon already set up for the show. It's already a shill. Mr. Bunker's already shilling out this Patreon, trying to make money off this show that hasn't even aired in a single episode yet. Yeah, we we were like asking him about all this stuff, and he was like, guys, just shill. Shill out for a little bit. Take a shill pill, guys. Seriously, you need to take a shill pill. Shill out. And uh, we did. And he let us know that there's over 30 to 40 hours of behind-the-scenes content, audio content, of our Andy and Art debunked Patreon-only episodes, which I don't remember recording. Who knows? Maybe we've been drugged by Mr. Bunker, the titular He's using Bunker. our names already? He's already using our names. Good Lord. Um, I feel so used. There's uh, episodes of our... Uh, where you can find podcasts from before Mr. Bunker found us. Uh, Mr. Bunker's Project Podcast Podcast. Um which many of the bunk funkers have seemed to enjoy a few of them. So that's good. We, we might track down a few of those that yeah, people seem knows? to enjoy. Yeah. There's the bunker discord. We can chat with Andy and I, um, the bunker newsletter and other stuff like shout outs and whatnot yeah. behind the scenes. Uh, content. Yeah. We just want to point out, we don't want to be on the discord. We have to be. So if our responses are like, you know, <laughs> we're contractually obligated, are short and dismissive. That's why. It's not because we're bad people. Um, anything else, Andy? Uh, no, I'm just going to finish by saying that, um, again, reiterate, I wish this was true. It's a good idea. Just not as good, not great execution. Not great execution. Cool idea. Would love to see a movie about it. Yeah. Unlike Chris Hansen, not great execution. He's great at execution. He's great at killing pedophiles. Chris Hansen, <laughs> pedophile murderer. I want to see two movies. I want to see a vertical plane movie, and I want to see the movie of Chris Hansen, pedophile murderer. Time-traveling pedophile. Time-traveling pedophile. <laughs> travels through time. If there was some He's way- have a we, big problem with ancient Greece. If there was some way we could blend these two. <laughs> okay. Someone from the future gives a pedophile in 1985. No. Gives a pedophile in the 1600s access to the light box, who then is talking to a little boy in 1985, and then Chris Han- it's Chris Hansen's job to go back in time and kill the pedophile. Oh my god, yeah. From the 1600s. And the guy doesn't realize what's going on, so he's like, yeah, I'm a 45-year-old man, and they're like, no way! And Chris Hansen like, jumps into a time machine, and he's like, what's going on? You sicko! He's like, I'm married! He's like, whatever, asshole! <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody fucks boys through time space. On my watch. Yeah! Nobody fucks boys through time. On my watch, I'm Chris Hansen. Have a seat. 
They should get Chris Pratt to play Chris Hansen. Let's get Chris Pratt to voice and play Chris Hansen. There you go. Well, whew, Andy, I guess we'll see if we're here next week. Um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I we'll mean, see what I don't happens. know how we're going to get home. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know where this bunker is. I don't know where it's located. Yeah, and it seems like we have a lot of obligations and work to do. Yeah. But I guess but I guess we'll we could just walk away from it all. I guess we could. That's how we kind of live our lives. Yeah. Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker who abducted us for the first time ever. God, that was uncomfortable. What an annoying experience. Hope that never happens again. To be abducted and kidnapped for the first time in your life. But never thought it would happen to me. Autosomal. Co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. Ye old yummy. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dino Tripodis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.